BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Doing that, I was face-to-face with it. It was holding me by my throat, and it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth be able to speak in people's languages and at that point it kind of converge into this one entity which will be revealed as extraterrestrial you'll realize that aliens are the gods of old and at that point it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity no it couldn't have been a person i know that i know that people can't run through the woods like that so this thing comes into view and i see it it's 50 yards away from me it's walking, it's walking on two legs, it's huge. This is a big, hairy looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Eric Salagi. I'm pleased to have tonight's guest back on the show for a second time. It's even more exciting that he's here to help celebrate the 100th episode of Uncomfortable. A hundred episodes. It's a milestone I don't think I ever let enter my mind during the conception of, of this show. I brag about you guys in the community, your phenomenal group. And honestly, it is 100% your doing that, uh, that we are still going at this and growing every month. So, if you haven't heard about it, we started the Uncomfortable Discord server. There will be a link to it in the show notes for this episode. Head over there. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been very interesting. We've, we've got some, some cool evidence being posted. We have some very unusual conversations taking place. And it's a lot of fun. So I'm glad everybody's enjoying it. 
If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, both at uncomfortablepodcast65. Most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review where you can. Those are the main ways you can help in getting the show out in front of other people. And with that, more people listening, you got it. Means more people coming forward with stories for your ears. So, as I've said, I am incredibly excited about having this gentleman back. We had a fantastic first episode together. I think we ran a little over two and a half hours. We hung up or we stopped recording, and I think we talked for another 45 to, to an hour after that. And uh, I've, I've, been, I've been chomping at the bit to get back on the show with him, but I keep putting it off and I keep putting it off because it's like, it's like walking downstairs on Christmas Day or on, on Christmas Eve night and, and being afraid of seeing Santa Claus. You want to see him, but you don't want to see him because you don't want it to be over. <laughs> And that's kind of where I'm at with this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, please, if you would, give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Mr. Robert Kreider. Robert, welcome to Uncomfortable. How you doing, Eric? Pleasure to be here. I'm doing great, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for being with me again. Um, can't say enough about that last episode. I had such a great response to it. Uh, listen, people, if you ever get a chance to see this gentleman speak in person, uh, which I fortunately I was able to do. Actually, I, I take I take a little bit of pride in even being a little bit of a, a part of that because he used my recording mm-hmm. system uh, while he was there. But you yeah, know, thank you very much for that too. You know, <laughs> no problem. Uh, this guy, uh, I tell you, his his presentation is efficient. It is incredibly informative. It is it is scientific in its presentation, without being overly wordy. Uh, he doesn't use a lot of uh, unrecognizable words, uh, it, but his breakdown of of his evidence is more thorough than any I've ever heard. And it you cannot walk away from seeing this guy speak live and not have changed your opinion on the existence of of the creatures that are known as Bigfoot. Well thank you, Eric. That's uh that's very gracious of you and I and I appreciate the fact that you took the time to really notice in such detail what what, what I was putting across. So Yeah, it's insane. You know, it really is. I mean it was it was something akin of, of going to a college lecture and listening to a professor that you really, really enjoy. You know, somebody that really brings everything to a level that is, is very understandable, that's very, um, you can digest it. You know, it, it doesn't take you, it, what you're saying is, is very relatable information. Um, you know, you hear, you hear researchers talk about, oh, we found scat, you know, but you, when you're talking about scat, you're talking about, you know, in, in the scat you found, you, you're finding Russian olives, you're finding this, you're finding that. Mm-hmm. And those are all things that are, are, are basically in the area that you're investigating and you're breaking down the diet and how these things could survive on not having a ton of protein in their diet, uh, 
and still be able to carry on in these in these massive sizes that they 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 go into. So yeah, we we try to basically capture all the and characterize every aspect we can of evidence like that. So um, how it pertains to the group and and how their behavior uh, relates to that, even the, even scat deposits and you know fecal matter and things. Um, you know, it just tells such a story. And to comment on your first part of that, when I, I have never presented to the public before, only to um, scientists or, or people that were like that in the past. So that's naturally kind of where I came from. And I never knew how anyone else did it. Um, I had never seen anyone else's live presentation. We're always so tied up in what we're doing. I have little time. I have great respect for the people, but I have little time to really look and see. And um, I haven't been to any at Bigfoot conventions myself or conferences or anything um, before the one that I attended in Michigan, invited up there by uh, Josh Parsons and them. Sure. Um, great guys. And, uh, and yeah, so, so what I did was I put out what I thought I would want to see as someone truly interested in every aspect or diverse array of that aspects of, of the species. You know, so when I put it out there, I, I didn't know a baseline to go from. Uh, or start starting point, you know, so I just did what I thought should be done. And, and I guess it may, I mean, it's good to see your reaction anyway, because, um, you know, you're familiar with this, you were there for the whole convention, you saw all the speakers, you did all this, and you have this comparative view, and one completely outside mine as someone who's delivering the information. And yeah. it's good to see that, that, that came across, um, that we wanted to give, you know, there's a scientific way of looking at this that we do. Um, we have our own opinions, but they're kind of our own. And um, that's not right. I don't believe people want to, or it's valuable to just hear my opinion. And so what I'd like to do is share with them everything that we gleaned our conclusions from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to pack that into what, you know, it's it's a minimum three-hour deal. And usually at these deals, yeah. I get an hour and a half. So it's pretty tough. You know, those guys were so gracious. They just pretty well let me have as much time as I needed. But. Well, that was a rough day for you too. You had you had some you had some travel difficulties. You had some layovers that extended. Uh, you you guys basically yeah. rolled in uh, mid conference, and uh, you just hit the ground running. Uh, we, yeah. every, we twenty eight hours. Yeah, twenty eight <laughs> hour travel time, no sleep, and um, yeah, and rolled right in there, and I was on. Yeah, so. we, we had we had I don't know what two or three guys that were going through their equipment bags trying to help you with uh, mm -hmm. uh, tripods and stuff like that, and 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 get things rolling. But um, I tell you what, you know, I've seen uh, I've seen Jeff Meldron speak. Um, you know, the guy knows feet, mm -hmm. and 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 he's very good at talking about feet. And he's very good about leaning on the crutch of science, uh, and not and not deviating from that at all. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it. But damn it, man! When when you sit there in an audience and you listen to you, um, that crutch for science is is not something that is is necessary because the information mm -hmm. and the, the information that you're providing to people that come see you speak is is handfuls more than what they're going to get from going to see somebody who is focused on one particular aspect of these things and you know it, god love him we needed that he, you know he furthered yeah. he furthered the uh the pursuit of this thing way more with his involvement so i take nothing away sure. from that um but you've taken it to a level that 
honestly, you know, and I'm not just kissing your ass here. Honestly, I don't understand why you are not one of the most sought after speakers on this topic in the, in the U S and, and probably Canada too. Well, to speak on that real quick, um, you know, to start off, my legs were never broken, uh, by my peers or, or their, the way they perceive me or the way I need to react based on their perception. So I didn't have that peer pressure that didn't break my legs and I wasn't crippled, um, by my own academic doctrine that I feel a responsibility to uphold. Right. So again, I'm not a PhD. I'm not a scientist. Well, I say I'm not a scientist and that every scientist that I know says, yeah, you are. Um, I'm not accredited, but I still have the basis and the background and the information. Um, and then coming from a layman's point of view and someone that was not, I'm not going to say indoctrinated in that sense. I'm, I'm going to say that it's, it's not through the school of, of academic understanding or, and, and the way you present information and how careful you are and, and things like that. So I, I could bridge that gap. And that's kind of what I tried to do. Um, and on that, and, and I agree that Mr. Meldrum's presence in the Enigma has been very important and it, it's really been there since the beginning. Um, but you know, if, if you're a true researcher, um, you never, you don't know how to stop researching, right? And you don't ever forget a detail because everything's so relevant and you don't have time to create supposition really. And you play a skeptic all the time. It's just part of doing research. And, um, you know, to find out the years of his particular involvement was uh, a great inspiration to how I was going to do this and convey information. Right. So because I didn't want that. And I sensed that at a young age. So in 1975, um, really this, you know, the people who really know the story know that everything is swept under the rug in 75. And when In Search Of hit the TV, um, it, it was already a myth. Sure. But up until that day, it really wasn't a myth. Um, it was, there was a broad spread understanding that this was out there, that it was something undiscovered or unrecognized by science. Um, but no one debated it was really out there. That was uh, just a known thing until early 70s and culminating in 75 with that and other shows that put it in the mythological. And this is where Dr. Meldrum got his start as far as being a public voice um, to bring some type of scientific view to the enigma. Right. Um, but at that point, it was already being colored at that point. There was a decision made somewhere. Um, you can because and I say that because you can it's not a natural natural evolution of information. So as you get to where the understanding can now be fluent and almost at the street level, um, then all of a sudden it goes away. And that doesn't normally happen with information, knowledge, wisdom. These things flower and grow unless an interest doesn't see that's of a benefit or it could be a detriment. Um, so, you know, I agree. Uh, I don't know why it is that, that I'm not picked up more and strung as low hanging fruit to those who even want to profit from it because, um, always the response has been any time that I have presented, um, that was unlike any other thing I've ever seen, yeah. um, by far the best presentation I've ever seen and things like that. And, and I don't want to pat myself on the back or sound conceited. I do the best I can. It's a hundred percent true though. It is from that's the, what yeah, I get back. So yeah, it, it, it's without a doubt some of the most compelling. You know, I've heard I've heard Meldrum speak. I've heard uh, Cliff Berrickman speak. You know, uh, 
they've got nothing on you. And it's, it's not a diss on them, but you can't just solely concentrate on one aspect of these things, and that being the foot. You know, more recently, in the past couple of years, Meldrum's been a little bit he, – he's always been in the camp that – you know, the Patterson-Gimlin film is is actual and, and, and mm-hmm. factual. Um, but mm-hmm. now with the, the latest uh, incarnation where they, they revamped it and they went through the, the AI process of replacing uh, lost images and restoring the film, and, you know, it's probably in the best shape that it's ever been right now. Mm-hmm. Now he's really kind of getting into it because you can actually see her foot bend and you can see the toes curl up as she's taking a step in a couple of frames, you know. So now he's starting to get a little bit more into, uh, you know, the musculature and the in the and the legs and stuff like that. Whereas before, he's been always about the foot. And like mm-hmm. we said, to digress, I mean, it, that's an important thing, and and it has mm-hmm. propelled this uh, forward. But, um, I, you know, and I'm not using this as a as a like I said, I'm not using this as a way to kiss your ass. That was one of the best presentations that I've I've ever seen, and and I have to I even have to put that into comparative. Now, now not to stop you, continue the thought in a moment, but um, you saw both of them, did you not? In Michigan, did you get to go to both of those? That I, I did, did. I did not get to see the one in uh, the year before. In uh, okay, okay, yeah, I did not get to see that one. Okay, okay, so carry on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But it, it, I'm. Comparative to even some of the better documentaries that have been done, uh, the information that you pack into, what did you have there in Chelsea? You had, what, did you have a full hour or did you have 90 minutes? No, they gave me, I was pushed a little over two hours. Were you that long? And the reason I say that is, and this now I guess is obvious, it went by so quickly. And the amount of information Mm -hmm. that came through was just, it was staggering. But it was accessible, and it was it wasn't something that you walked away from just going, "What the hell did I just hear?" You know, it, it was right. very digestible for for myself, who's probably a little bit more than your average enthusiast. But you know, it, it's, it's it's fantastic stuff. I'm not. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna I, stop blowing. You, I'm gonna stop blowing smoke up your no. ass. But uh, it, it, it brings me to it. It brings me to this to this thing I need to say, and that is that it, it's coming from a basis of. Uh, even a little deeper than just relating the scientific information. So I've got to know them basically. And, and people say I've got, I've got to know them and that's their story. And they relate their stories yeah. of how they've got to know groups and things like that. But I haven't got to personally know them in that sense. I've got to know them as what they are and who they are and kind of what they do and things. But how do I introduce them to the people? How do I introduce the people to them? Right? So the only way I can do that, I can't tell the people who they are, what they do. I could, but to, to me, that seems like like a, 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 a storybook with no pictures. I don't know. And and that child wonder comes with this vision of what they are. And, and people want to want to form their conclusion. They want to see what's behind it. And um, and that's where it kind of comes from. So when you mix that data collection process where you don't miss anything, I mean, everything you look at, you're really looking at. Now, there's a lot of stuff we, we go right by because we've seen hundreds of examples of those things. But there's nothing new that we don't pay a lot of attention to. And and then we 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 bracket that in a way and we try to deliver that I do in a way that that they get to know these individuals, you know, so you get a sense of who they are and kind of how they feel as they're looking around 
their world. Um, and these things are all dramatically self-evident in what you can glean by closely following with a group, right? Um, like when we see them, um, how they, how, how, and which subjects and how they acquire which types of food, you know, at what age groups and things like that, or that they're, you know, the, the actual age per year per year, suppose, but when you have a smaller, that's younger, blah, blah. But, but seeing who's doing what and who's more sedentary and who's running around and, and is this what we would expect? And, and um, you know, that's so enlightening to us because that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going out there and getting to know them uh, through what they did and how they did it and where they sat down. You know, if was one digging a rabbit out of a hole with a stick and there's another smaller one standing there and this, this one's halfway down with his body and he's digging with the stick. And so you can imagine this picture that's authentically represented by the evidence of of a of a larger uh, juvenile uh, with a very small one watching him do this as he's digging to remove this stick uh, in the dark, and it 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 tells something about them, you know, every 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 aspect like that. So that's what I try to do is when we do the presentation or. I try to relate stories of the information. I almost never like to say something that I can't show you visually, that I can't show you a picture or hand you an item or or something like that, right? I mean, I'll, t I'll tell good stories, but there's a video to it. There's almost always, I don't even hardly tell any of the stuff that I haven't got something that someone can bite into right. and take a look, whether it be the skeptic or the believer, right? I mean, and... Um, well, that and was so the other thing, you know, your, your table was, was littered with... Uh, track cast from uh, from the area that you uh, you investigate mm -hmm. regularly and you know I mean the whole and that was aesthetically that was probably something that helped pull everything together because you had those you had those track casts on and when I walked up to your table I was going to put your uh, your shirt on tonight but I'm I'm always in black so uh, but I went over to get that shirt from you and uh, you know you, you pointed out that that one, the, the larger track. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, I was looking at the track from a story that you were telling me on our previous episode that stuck with me so much that when I looked at that track, I was taken back to that conversation. And I was like, it was kind of a, it was kind of a holy shit moment. It was like, oh my God, this is the one he was talking about when he was talking about the, you know, 23 inch track. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, it's it's just amazing stuff um so let's move on a little bit let's let's stay on the bigfoot topic for for just a while we've got some we've mm -hmm. got some surprises that i don't know that i've heard you talk much about uh in in other episodes that you've you've done with other shows but um we're going to get into a little bit more weirder weirder stuff tonight um but as far as your your Bigfoot stuff. Uh, one of the stories that you shared with us the last time you were here was the uh, the kill zone in the lodge, and mm -hmm. I know that the, there was a pretty big production about you going and and getting a group together and and heading back out there to try to find the area and uh, um to to revisit that area, and you ran into some problems uh you weren't you weren't quite able to get to where you were going but nevertheless you had you had some some pretty good experiences along the way but you had some bad experiences as well as <laughs> from from what we're uh can we get into that a little bit yeah whatever you want to know 
we're an open book, man. I don't have any choice. So that's that was my promise to myself as a kid doing this. Was I didn't like being misled or anything kept from me because everybody hates that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, shoot, I'll be as honest as I can. But, you know, I mean, uh, having watched your uh, your different videos and stuff, you know, I was watching you doing your training. You're, you're, you're walking for miles and miles with, you know, loaded packs, mm-hmm. and you're building up your endurance, and you're taking this very serious. And uh, then it comes time for you guys to go out, and doesn't seem like everybody took it as serious as they should have. And uh, Probably not. You know, and, and not to cut you off for short, and you there, um, keep your thought – a lot of people live in a world where everyone's talking and there's not a lot behind that talk. And then when they, when they show up somewhere that that that's not occurring, it can be a surprise. So I think maybe that they thought I was exaggerating or that I was, uh, over, over, I, I don't, I don't know how to do not just simple exaggeration, I guess, just, you know, uh, sensationalizing right right i guess maybe they thought that i was blowing it out of the water so it was for clicks or views or or whatever so i think that might have been an issue and and some of that team's lack of dedication to getting prepared for and ready for this uh adventure for this expedition led to uh essentially led to a failure of of being able to get to where you were trying to go uh basically yeah because you know, it's like anything else when you're on a schedule and that schedule means is, is equated to a distance. Um, you know, I've done this forever. I've been hundreds, many hundreds of expeditions throughout my life and with all kinds of people. You know, I used to take people out on tours that were absolute greenhorns. And then I've taken guys out that were, you know, uh, snipers and, and whatnot like that. So these are the, you know, the extreme ends of the spectrum. And I think that not only maybe I wasn't taken seriously or the perception was that I was trying to sensationalize the deal, it's a lack of experience. And so and that relates in two ways. That relates into the situations you'll put yourself in unknowingly and through your own arrogance, the, the, the belief that you can handle something without previously experiencing that. And so when you've been in extremely rugged conditions and done treks and stuff, and someone tells you this is going to be rugged, you know, uh, this isn't going to be very easy. This is going to be difficult. You need to prepare. Well, if you don't understand what you're preparing for, you know, and where the clarification goes and the ego goes out the window with kind of stuff like this, it's like scuba diving or something. There's no room for any of that. It's life. It could be life and death. Right. Um, and so they need to say, hey, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what rugged truly is. I've never done something like that. And so that mis- as for me, I've even been jumped on that I should have qualified people. I should have looked into them anymore. What I do is I ask a man um, what their experience is, and I try to glean from what they can tell me. And, you know, as some of these people I'd never been in the field with. And that's normally we don't do a lot of that on something like this. But it was expressed to me um, that they really, really, really wanted to do this for whatever reason they needed to, felt they needed to do it. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe it was for the wrong reasons, and that just came back to bite some people in the butt. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down, you're on a schedule and you have to maintain a certain speed. And, you know, and I calculate all that in advance. And in that calculation, I have stop times and I have, you know, time where I say, oh, you know, I got to retime my boot or I got to adjust my pack or I got to do stuff like that. And so um, and so I lined it out. It was going to be really, really, really tight. There wasn't really any room for anything. But in the first quarter mile, 
and half mile, it was already evident that there was attitudes. And those attitudes come from, um, from physical, well, I would say needs on the body that you can't necessarily keep up with. Or your mind's not used to pushing yourself quite that hard. Um, people can do amazing things if they don't start thinking about it. And, you know, generally when you're on a trail in a situation with a team like that, if anyone has an attitude or whatever, it's because their own thoughts that's going through their mind more than it is what you're doing. They're beating them down and already, so I, yeah. And then they look yeah, to blame it on something else. Down. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, when people don't take things serious, like when we normally go somewhere, we go there to get there. Not, I would say everyone says you got to stop and smell the, the roses, but uh, depending, if you have an hour to get somewhere and you can only an hour's travel, you stop and smell the roses, well, you're not going to get there. So, you know, um, talking in the trail, things like that, not taking what we were doing serious. If you're talking, you're not breathing. And if you're not breathing properly at 10,000 feet, you're not getting enough oxygen to your muscles. Um, and so, you know, different things occur within the muscles between acidic buildup and a lot of the things that oxygenation helps to clear. Well, then you don't have the energy you need to have you're, you're, or even the clear, uh, clarity of mind and thought process. So that can manifest itself in frustrations and things like that and they weren't that evident because but i'm i'm experienced to perceive these things in people because like in the central arizona desert when you're taking people out into those areas um it's life or death based on attitude somebody can get themselves riled and go and have a stroke literally and so or, or drink all their water when you tell them not to because they're going to be you know cocky or do whatever they're going to do so you know i have to sense these things and but on this particular outing it wasn't one where I could just stop, and it wasn't one where I was going to be returning him at the end of the evening or anything like that. We had to go try to complete what we were going to complete. So um, er, even early on, not to make a long story long, but e even early on, you know, I pretty well could see that, man, we're not going to make the the points that we need to make within time that we need to make them to get enough time there of light to set up camp, to rest, to eat, to do things we need to do to continue the next duration. So our stop points were made early, even in the first night. And I did it in extreme Bigfoot terrain. I actually did it, you know, you can see on the videos and stuff where there's just some of the largest foliage manipulation anybody's ever seen. A lot of them uh, yeah. were just massive. And we stopped right there with this 100 foot tall X made out of trees that were, you know, anyway, we've, we've uh, measured their estimate, their weight about four to six thousand pounds a piece or a little more and these are slender trees but very tall 90 foot but slender um and then some of the carrions were over eighteen thousand pounds 32 inches thick 100 foot long with the roots on them um and so you know and, and that's where we made camp the, they didn't under even understand i don't think why i was making the decisions i was making too um now i will say a couple of guys you know boyd omer amazing guy been out with him before no issue None, zero. Laughter, the whole thing, no problems. Um, Ron Kastner, USFS force manager, you know, uh, for 19 years or whatever, um, still is. Uh, he was there. He had no issues at all, you know, none whatsoever. Um, and they didn't question what we were doing. But the other guys, I don't think they even understood why he even stopped there. And I tried to explain it, but we were basically at the gateway <clears throat> to where the giants live, right? I mean, and where the danger zone is and where I know that things could get really, really bad. And we stopped right there and camped behind the Bigfoot's blind setups um, in front of their giant X blatantly. And we had, before we even got set up, we didn't get all the way unpacked and we already had knocking 
and we had talking. We had speech going on um, to the west of us, just slightly up up the hill there. It was real rugged terrain, but this finger had some flat to it, although it never got totally flat, you know, but it was doable to dig in on. Yeah. And, um, and they, so they were just up a gradual slope from us just through the real thick stuff. And, um, and you, we could hear them chattering, you know, so it was, you don't want to take a group into the hot zone, get in there at dark and then start setting up where you already know you're going to be upsetting a group of individuals that have been suspect to be making people disappear. You know, um, that's not responsible to do that. And and some of the guys on the trip said I, I, I didn't have their safety in mind and whatnot. They don't even know why I was making the decisions we were making. You know, so we did the best we could with what we could. And then the following day when we when we did make our second camp, um, we went basically out of the zone. We declined elevation to just get off the main trail, off the hot zone and made our camp and then had to return up. And when it came back to return up to actually go to where the lodge is at, yeah, it was just I started receiving a bunch of arguments. And these are from people who've never been there and have no clue where we're going, arguing the maps I sent them back to me about where I don't know where I'm at on the mountain. And, um, you know, the video just says it all. That's why I never really told this story. I didn't want to, you know, down anybody or, or bust anybody's chops. I, I'm just not what I'm out to do. Um, but I've been asked so many times the details of what went wrong, what happened. And so I produced the videos long and in segments, mainly because these are as the camera was rolling and what was happening was happening. These are huge, long, uncut, uh, you know, segments of video. And, you know, and then it's just self-evident. You can hear the type of feedback I'm getting and you can hear it. And, you know, the clincher was calling us out early. Um, they actually while we were investigating one location trying to see if this was an access to where the lodge area would be and we're finding hand fit hand prints feet print doesn't get any better we literally have hand prints fist, feet prints fist prints all over the place tons of action great material to find them in and i'm being rushed hey is this the place is this the trail it's like hey do you are you seeing what we're finding you know right here you i guarantee you guys have never seen anything like this and for some reason you're gleaning right over this let me let me interrupt let me if interrupt you're gonna get you. to the hotel in time so let me interrupt yeah, you please. so you're you're seeing all these prints these hand prints these fist knuckle prints foot cast or uh footprints and you say mm -hmm. they're gleaning over it are they are they actually recognizing that they're there and they're just not satisfied by oh, yeah. that amount of evidence no, absolutely. And it's like I wanted to track them out a little ways and because that's part of what we're here for. And I don't know if one of the big, big boys is with these guys that we're looking at right here. You know, these are big individuals, but they're not the giants. You know, these yeah. are 23 inch tracks. These are 14 inch tracks and and seven inch wide handprints and stuff big, but certainly not the big, big, big ones. And, and we had found a 20 inch track the day before, before we descended to make camp. So we already knew they were around. But Point being is that there was some other type of focus going on during this. And, and I, you know, I kind of want to tell the whole thing. And it's almost like I'd be I'd be kicked to the curb because there was a nefarious um, tactic and agenda behind the involvement of a couple of people. And I didn't know that. And so it was basically if we didn't hit the lodge or if they didn't think we would, then there was a kind of a separate agenda to defame me in my work. And. Um, I didn't like that very much. And I, and I found out about it by a couple people who 
were involved on the backside with them listening to this plan beforehand. And, um, which was kind of ridiculous. I mean, this, this doesn't happen in our sense of doing you know, treasure hunting and historical research or working with scientists or whoever, this kind of thing just doesn't occur. It's so petty and so weird. And for what we see, it's never, would never be worth it to defame somebody else or to try to conquer their information by claiming it as their own or a part of it or whatever like that. And so there was, do you, some do you kind think of that's what it was? On, so. Do you think that's what well, it yeah, was I mean, that they the, were wanting to claim it as their own? Well, a part of it, not claim it necessarily to take credit for the fine, but to claim it. So something that they can use. So on a usury basis, something they can take an advantage of and profit from in the future, which was actually part of the total plan. And the plan was openly discussed on a couple of shows. Um, and I really don't want to go into detail about who and what, but they were, it was openly discussed in part and in portion, but nobody really understood where this was going and who was doing it and why they were doing it and what was going on. And so part of this was, um, you know, in the first day of that expedition, we didn't do the mountain. We actually did GLST, my main research area for my group. And because I can go in there and we can get hair and feces and, and tracks and stuff on a pretty regular basis. And, you know, plus I even know where there's hair still in position from years ago that they rubbed in real deep, you know. And so I wanted to take these guys and expose them to that and have the basic for tracking so we could use that on the mountain. Because um, I know we can go in and track the female around a little bit, see how she's breaking things and whatnot. I can show them. When we went in there, um, there was two rubbing posts that were absolute full, you know, 10, 12 twists around on, on a cedar, um, some fibrous green cedar saplings, and, and then broken off and things, and then hair rubbed really deep into it. And, um, and these couple of guys were not interested in collecting any of that. And I offered that. I said, if you guys, because they had claimed that they had someone that could do some DNA work. And I said, cool, absolutely, man, here you go. Because... Uh, this is this is something that I, I feel quite confident, 99.9% sure this is exactly for not just the Bigfoot, but which subjects they're from. And, um, and they didn't have any interest in collecting it. Then upon exiting the area, we were going through a real thick area, and there was a downward hanging branch, and about waist high, which is too low to normally be considered. And... Um, and I said, well, uh, and it was an unfamiliar charcoaly, ashy kind of color. And I said, well, I don't know what this is. Um, in the, in the wintertime, cattle will get, you know, a little bit long hairs on them and they're kind of soft. And I said, and it could be that I'm not going to say, cause I don't know. This isn't on a scratching post. It's not on a, you know, it's, it's not got feet print next to it. It's not from a known subject. It's Didn't not the sense. right color. They collected it. Why would you collect the one thing? I say, I don't know what this is. It's probably a cow and yeah. you collect that, but you pass up two scent posts that have been years used since, well, like 2012 or 14, when we fast started finding them, um, that we know, you know, that have had corresponding or corroborating, corroborating evidence, um, along with them many times. So we have this established repetition here to go by and we're confident in this and, and just blew it off. And I thought that was interesting. That actually kind of chewed at me a little bit because I've been out with a lot of people and I know what people want to see. And, and that was not of interest. So, um, the clincher came after we got back there was, um, there was going to be a couple shows made in regards to, well, well, I'll tell you right now. I mean, um, I smoke pot every once in a while and I have since I was young, whatever, no big deal. I had broken back and all kinds of other stuff too. And I don't do pain meds and I don't drink booze or any of that crap. And, um, you know, been IQ tested at a genius level, highly, 
you know, articulate, I'm, I'm coordinated, whatever. So there's not an issue with that. And anyone who thinks there would be these days would kind of have to just fell off their mom's tit yesterday. Right. I mean, really, you'd almost have to be sheltered and kept under a bed to even feel that way. I know doctors, lawyers, scientists, I know people that worked on all the aerospace stuff that we just wonder over, uh, do the same thing, done it with them. Absolutely. So, but when we got back, they had concentrated on an effort that they were going to use that information to defame me, which they began to promote a show on drug use in the field. And now this is a little odd too, because I even spoke to the man about this and then nobody had an issue about any of it. And we talked about, yeah, man, I don't believe in using, you know, speed, crank, coke. I don't like people go out there and drink beer, literally, because that's not why we do it. We do out there to experience these beings and learn about them, right? And we go camping and we drink beer, go to the lake, drink beer. So, um, but anyway, so, but the instantaneous response they had was people just writing in literally, I hope you're not talking about marijuana. I hope you're not talking about marijuana. Um, because two thirds of the people that are into this subject and are out there in the hills either do that or know someone intimately that does sure. and don't have any issue. And they know the, the validity and the value, uh, especially when you talk about some of the intelligence factors and some of the studies show that, you know, some of the smartest people on the planet smoke for some reason. So it's interesting to me that something so what I consider trivial and certainly not all encompassing or, you know, overwhelming or degrading in any way was going to be brought out like that. And then I got contacted by someone that had worked with them in the past and said, listen, this wasn't an accident. I'm going to tell you how all this goes together. And they actually let me know that it was a planned, concerted effort. And so what I realized was that last day it was going to be well, actually, yeah, it was, it was, we should have, I, I, we were supposed to hit the lodge the day before this and stay one night after we actually found the lodge, if we didn't get messed with too bad. So, but based on the timing and the, the scheduling and the rate of progression down the trail and the progress, um, we had to cut that short. So we weren't going to get to the lodge until the last day. And then it was going to be a ditch to literally egress out of that place and make it down to the ride by 5 PM. Um, but we could have done it. No problem. But I realized this when they were canceling me on the trail at the top, we were getting to lodge. The lodge was around the corner. Um, but I don't think they had it in them to make it to what I consider around the corner and then make it off the mountain. I think they were beat to the gills. And so they were preventing me from going forward, which you can see in the video. And it's really suspicious and strange. Um, the other two guys there, Ron and Ron and uh, Boyd, are arguing with them. Hey, he knows where he's going. This is the trail. Uh, Boyd lives on that mountain on the other side, man. And they didn't want to hear any of it. They were going. Then I find out that they had made a phone call. And instead of our egress meeting at 5, they contacted, which I didn't have a way to get a call out. They found a place they could make a call. And they contacted um, our, our pickup team, which was three vehicles, okay, running this Forest Service road, two trailers, it's, it's a one single lane Forest Service road, um, three vehicles, and they called them in at 3 p.m. instead of 5 p.m. Or no, yeah, 3 p.m. instead of 5 p.m. Well, that took away our time to get off the mountain completely. That was it. That's how much time we needed to get from our elevation down to where they could pick us, the closest place they could pick us up. So now there was no more trip to the lodge because we all tried to get a hold. We could not get a hold of that team who now planned to pick us up just on a road. They didn't know where exactly we'd be coming out on this road. This isn't an easy thing to organize. 
And they didn't care at all, did not consult with me about it. They did it while I was off on the trail searching for an access. And so when I got back, naturally, I was just blown. I was like, my God, you guys, we don't even have time to do anything. You guys blew it. You called us out early. What are you doing? And yeah, the whole thing was nuts. And then um, coming off the mountain, it was really strange because I have a rate of progression that I can do carry as much weight as I was. So um, I was carrying more than half my body weight. Uh, for one and nobody else was doing that necessarily so because these are all a lot bigger guys than me and the one that was smaller um, didn't have as much so it, it, everything should have worked out what's funny is the two smallest people carrying the most weight uh, basically came out first which was myself and one of those guys but they made these crazy claims that people just really read me for afterwards that I left them on the mountain. They could have got eaten by a mountain lion um, and all this. But what we had was Boyd was pulling up the rear with the guys that were too slow or the rest of the group. I was going up spurts, seeing, checking trail, seeing which way to go, and then at each change point or stop point. But, you know, every little while I'd have to wait maybe two minutes at the most for them to catch up. Once I had to wait 15 minutes because they went and looked at something. And I did that like four or five times down the mountain. and um, But I could always hear them talking. Um, I could always hear them talking. I always knew where they were because I could hear them chattering on the mountain. So I was never out of vocal contact. If I would have yelled, they would have heard me. Um, but And the fact that nobody was ever alone. And when we ex exited, they said I left on the mountain and exited alone. I was with their guy. Um, we exited together. And then we had to wait about 15 to 20 minutes for Boyd and the last guys to come down. And so it was a totally normal dupe. People do that all the time. That's normal progression because everyone has a kind of a different cadence. And with as much weight as I was carrying on my frame um, and under walking, it was because, you know, they're not used to carrying weight fluidly and letting the weight go down the mountain. Don't try to stop at every step. So it was killing those guys. And I was burned out too. I was out of water. I knew I would be. Uh, my calves were locking, dehydration, whatever. But I know I can just go down the mountain to get out. But I couldn't just sit there and wait on the mountain and cook in the sun. And um, so I let them rest and progress as they needed to with Boyd as a guide. And um, it's just funny to see, of course, I, when we got back, then they went off on me and wanted whatever remainder of any money was in the accounts too, which is just crazy. And we had talked about it before because there was some left over from the GoFundMe and they wanted me to put that back into a future project or whatever. And everyone agreed on that. It's within one day of getting back, they had one guy as their kind of their representative, their little group that got together and they, and they wanted the money, period. And so, um, so I sent them everything outside what the cost and paying the guys back were who did the, the, uh, you know, the drivers of the three vehicles, we paid them for that time and all this other stuff. And it was interesting to me because we were supposed to have a 10 person van rented, right? Which was most of the money for the thing was renting this van because we didn't want dropped off vehicles and sitting in a plus you can't leave a vehicle there overnight. There's no camping on the mountains. So there's nowhere you can leave a vehicle. So it's, it's a shuttle up process anyway. So you get a 10 person van, all your gear, you go up, drop it off and they come pick us back up. I already had all of it arranged. And the day before we were supposed to pick it up, they got together and talked me out of getting the van to save the money. So I arranged through another guy for a man, his wife, and his son to all take time out of their deal, shuttle their own vehicles to get to a certain position where then they could drive our vehicles back to their place and back and forth and then meet us on the mountain. It's a big arrangement. Then when we got back, they wanted the money. So to me... What's that tell you? I mean, if it quacks like a duck, they wanted they wanted me not to spend the money, so there'd be money left, so they could pressure me to give it to them. 
And then they go on and make a public campaign about, hey, if you want the money back from this, let us know. Man, people were writing me saying, dude, I'll donate again. If you want to go, we're into this thing. I don't want no money back. We will give to you again. Yeah. You know, so we didn't receive that response. So anyway, that's the truth of the matter. And that's that's what the aftermath was and this and that. And people are welcome to go just watch the video. You can tell I didn't chop it up to create a narrative. Uh, there's hardly any cuts in the whole thing. You know, it's just. Yeah, I've watched you know, it and it, it is uh, it's strange. It really is because, um, you know, I, I have, I guess I have on my side of things, I have having been able to converse with you in person, uh, I've had experience with you and, and I, I have a pretty good read of what I think your character is, uh, you know, from the limited amount of time that we've spent together, but I, I've got a good gut. Um, I, I don't get bullshit from you ever. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it doesn't seem to be a part of your, your DNA. And no, it's been something that you've tested me since I've childhood. I, I hate, I don't like fake, man. I don't like, you know, I do remember, I do remember watching one of your videos when you were introducing the team and I saw one individual from, from the Southern, one of the Southernmost states. We'll just leave it there. Um, and and I was like, how did that guy get there? And brought, I, brought in by the other guy. I was that like, was I, you know, I, I was shaking my head because I was like, man, maybe I really maybe I really misread that guy. And apparently I didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. And you bring that up. It's interesting because um, because it wasn't sensational enough, I guess. Um, then there were so many sensationalized claims being made by the same guys of what went on up there. And, um, you know, I was there. So and and I was there and I was there. So I know <laughs> what went on up there. Uh and and they didn't things didn't happen man and so it's interesting to me because it, it gives a model a macro example of of the total that's out there in the bigfoot community and what people will say when they get back I and mean, then everyone else takes this with a whole role and then we have a whole aspect to the species that's not real and everyone jumps on a bandwagon and man they just go off on this branch and that branch and down this creek and down that one and to say that you know you felt you were messed with is one thing um i get that totally you know but to, but you know there was claims of being taken grabbed by the leg and taken through the wall of a tent and into a portal to another dimension and um you know it didn't happen so i know what happened that morning and it was i had a dream that i was grabbed by one of these things and it's like damn no doubt dude you know we had him around camp and, you know, I, I, I got their eyes shine. I'm listening to them. We're awake. Everybody's asleep. And me and this other guy were awake. So, and, it's, and it's like, we know what's going on because we're awake, you know. And sure, there was a lot of movement things going on. But, you know, uh, I recorded the whole night. You know, your tent never unzipped. Uh, nothing grabbed you. You know, you're good. It was a dream, whatever. And, and I get even the mental aspect. It's like the mind speak or, or the infiltrating our dreams and things like that. 
And that's all. I'm good with that. That's cool. If that happened and you made a connection, maybe it was doing that to you or maybe in a dream it was doing it to you. And it really was just 50 feet over there imagining or being in your dream with you. Who knows what was going on? But the person did not get drug out of their tent. They did not get taken out into a portal. It just didn't happen. And so it was interesting to me to see when we got back that people felt the need to dramatize it to that degree. Um, yeah, because the, the truth of, isn't enough. Oh, my gosh. And that's my point is in the face of evidence that most people have never, ever had the opportunity to see in person and would only dream to see it. And dozens and dozens of examples of that. And isn't that good enough? Like, really? Like, isn't that good enough? If we didn't get to the lodge, fine. I wasn't going to throw anybody under the bus. Look at the video when I got down off the mountain. The video I made, you know, I give everybody, treat them like superheroes, right? Um, because that's how it would have been. But the fear that someone has of being thrown under the bus when they've had an inadequate uh, contribution or when, they, when they've not lived up to the hype, so to speak, or whatever, you know, you can't be too proud, you know. And that's how it's always been. I, I told one guy when we were up there, um, I said, damn, dude, you're kind of green. And boy, he got offended. And I'm thinking, what are in the world is wrong with you? Anybody else on our teams or the kind of people I go out with, the kind of people we do these things with, um, I could call you greenhorn the whole trip and you'd laugh about it. And so would everybody else. If you're a greenhorn, you know, nobody's going to get butthurt over that title unless that they're claiming they're more than they are. And then that tells me a lot about when you get back and you need to claim more than there was. Right. Um, the fame or, or the recognition comes with the deed. If you want to get the recognition, go do the deed, man. And, and, you know, don't be a wimp about it. You know what I mean? I just, you know, I'll ask you one more question and then, then we can move on from it. If you want. Um, do you think that this, that this, uh, the subversive actions that took place during that, do you think that was an isolated thing between a couple of people and maybe a small outside group of those individuals participants or do you think that 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 was perpetrated by a larger um no a larger entity so, no it wasn't by a shadow entity these are players that believe they're big time players and man a lot of people in the hoop hoop world of this bigfoot stuff believe they're big time players too um, some up and coming and the up and coming is based on nil man. and most of it's based on riding on the skirt tails of other people with integrity. Absolutely. And I was, I was told verbatim that I was not the only person that was on the list to do this to. And that, um, and some are big old names and they've already had cooperation. And at the same time, by these people that did it to me, it's funny because they thought, I guess, I would be culpable or be into this kind of crap because I was told, hey, man, we got, you know, we got, we smuggled out, hacked out all the locations of a BFRO, like 50,000 locations of BFRO. We have the exact coordinates and stuff, and we're going to go start hitting these up and all this crap. And I'm like, so what, dude? I don't even have time to They've even already think been about it done how many times? Well, they had 50,000 <laughs> in all the site. And they think the reason someone often feels that's a big deal is because they had to go steal to get it. 
or something like that. So it's a glorification to get something you're not supposed to have. And to me, that's a pretty light thing because what'd you do? Did you, you know, knock off an armored car? What'd you guys, uh, oh no, man, we took the database. Well, so what, you know? Well, that's a, um, there's a difference between running around with a bag of pennies or running around with a bag of gold doubloons. You're right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and what are you going to do with 50? Who cares with 50,000? You're never going to go see 50,000 places. I don't care what the heck you say. Most of the places that anyone wants to go look at that you're going to be offering them tours to go see, as they publicly stated, um, already know where these sites are. You know, the, the public site, they're already public sites. They're already known. So it's not like, but th that whole thing about oh yeah we've got this you know we're gonna do this and that if you want to be a part of this and that you know hey yeah no i don't dude i don't for one i don't need any of it whatsoever um two it's just like it's all small shit you know it's it's excuse my terminology there but it's it's not worth the time i mean it really is expressive of what it is it's a waste right it's 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 not worth my time. It's not, and it's immoral and unethical. And it's exactly opposite of why we did this anyway, you know, was to get truth and yeah. fact and authenticity. What in the world? It's not to get known or stuff our face anywhere. And maybe that goes back to um, why I'm not sharing the stage with a lot of persons too, because I'm not out there swinging my arms around, uh, jumping up and down, uh, trying to play good guy, speaking carefully, um, you know, playing within the realm of this and that, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of that going on. I mean, if you're on the great, great ape side, you get a TV show just about if you're not going to say, oh, these are a people. Or if you're going to say Bigfoot's one creature out there, where is he now based on this information? Well, then, yeah, naturally. But we're not we're way too in the, grounded in the real world for that. So well, I don't know. You know, my personal opinion is um, and I know that there's a lot of. There's a lot of factors involved in it, and um, man, I just I can't help but think that at some point you are going to have your day, and and it's going to be a great day because the the stuff that you've got and the way that you speak about it, the uh, the intelligence that you put behind your presentations, and 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 the non the things that other people discount or feel are trivial the way you bring them into it are it, it just makes it it makes it the whole package and uh well you know. you know when there's when there's people on a stage under spotlights and you want to pull the roof back to where the sun starts shining you don't see those spotlights anymore yeah so and you know, it's been and you're not making that's your money. How it's been compared to me what well, who am i gonna who's gonna who, who's gonna feel that they don't have anything to contribute or they have less to contribute once we come up on, on that scale. And you're not just sitting at your table, signing autographs and selling track casts and uh, books no. and, no. you know, getting a speaker. No, and, I, and, and like I said, I got no disrespect for anybody that's no. doing that. The only time it ever bugs me is when they begin to speak as an authority on things they don't know about and that we know they don't know them because we know them. That bugs yeah. You know, when, when, or to hear naturally what we've gleaned over the years adopted by others. That's, that's why we do it. We are open about it. We can hide what, the way we do things and have outstanding results predictably and repeatedly as we do. It's hard to believe, but it's the way it is. 
Um, but we show that so other people can go out and have predictable, repeatable results as well. We don't have to do that. Most people are like, oh, that's my secret. Like, that's the way I pan my gold. I'm not showing anybody else. I get more than they do. Well, um, you know, that we, we're not into that. We're just, we're just not. So at the same time, we don't really appreciate when other people take the information that we've give, just freely gave. And then they're sitting up there on a stage repeating us. And there's no credit given. And they're sensationalizing the information to keep themselves relevant. Yeah. Well, you didn't glean that information. You didn't. I mean, like some of the people are doing it, and we know they're not out in the field doing that kind of work. Yet they're sitting there saying it like they did. But we all know they don't do that kind of work. But we're, they're saying it like they did, which is interesting. And sometimes I only give half truths. And then to me, it's funny because then they run with that, like the purple hair and things like that. Um, <laughs> You know, it's 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 related as purple by the frequency. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not the visual light refracted yeah. spectrum. So they don't realize those. So they'll run with that and they'll say it and say it, but they don't even really realize what the hell it means. That's funny as hell. OK, yeah. so let's let's wrap up the Bigfoot portion of this. Um, mm -hmm. For the listeners, anybody who and I, I can't imagine that anybody that listens to this show has not heard of you or listened to your uh, your other show with me at least and and probably several several others but for the the one off that might not have give us a give us a description uh, kind of in the way that a, a law enforcement would do of a suspect of the largest individual that you know of and have had an experience with height weight color color of hair um, foot size while these people with uh, and, and 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 let this be an open invitation for anybody to go check out Robert's uh, uh, videos and and his uh, his content because it's mind-boggling. Um, well, it's not hard to say because a lot of those aspects have only been together with one subject um, that, that are have an informa enough information to relate. And I, I don't know about wowing people, but I can certainly relate to them the reality of what I've experienced. And um, that would have to be the large male that we that I spooked awake while I was alone. Um, early afternoon and uh, he was massive you know uh, his weight was more than than I could comprehend which and its movement was so fast that my brain couldn't comprehend that amount of mass moving that at that speed so when I surprised it awake um, it was laying prone under the edge of some branches and leaves there in the sun and he was shaded part underneath. And when he sprang over, his motion from prone perpendicular to me to now on all fours facing me behind the foliage was so dramatically fast. Um, the only thing I can equate to moving anything like that's when a crocodile, you know, grabs, like I've said before, grabs a wildebeest out of the, you know, be under the water and it's so explosively quick you don't see anything but white water and then it's in his mouth you know that's how it was before you could you could even realize and he that was at 57 feet 
So that was really close. And then I followed him in. Um, there was another smaller subject, actually. I felt, tried to follow him a little, saw his tracks, and he ghosted me. Figured he went around where the big one was. So I kind of went into where the big room was. And um, he moved away from me as I did all this and stuff. And, and I can relate to you what I experienced from him was this, was on all fours, his shape beneath the tree stuff was at least six foot tall. Um, it was every bit of every bit of four foot, but I know more wide, um, say five foot wide and six foot tall on all fours. And that's also matched the physical uh, remnants that were in there, the trace evidence breaks and the stuff that he had hit from when he did that move. And being as he never stood up in there and he stood up as he exited to the left, um, you know, we know how, how big he was, but then he planted a foot and the foot broke out the earth below it. So even a, a horse or a cow, this is hard packed clay sediment. And the, even a horse or a cow kicks this, it'll kick a half inch off the top. It might break a little bit of crust over, but that's it. That's all it's going to happen due to it. And you drive a car on it and it leaves a print in the dust, but it won't compress the ground. And it not only compressed earth when it made a turn, but it broke out a section of that earth. And it broke out that earth about eight inches deep and about a foot and a half across as a chunk of ground pushed down and kicked sideways and displaced that entire piece and left a heel print that was over six inches wide in that section. And now I'm going to give you the moment, uh, give everyone the moment as well, because as I give you the details, the information of the individual know that as I'm doing all this and looking at all this, he's 40 to 50 feet from me still. He's moved in position and got in thick cover, but he hasn't left. And there's another subject with him. I turned from there and the feet print that I ran into when he again went erect and became bipedal around two feet um, as he rounded the corner were 23 inches long. And, you know, in the video, you can see me finding them and, and I'm shaking. I'm like red and I'm shaking. And that's because he's 40 feet away from me as I'm trying to tell you about his print. Well, the print's minutes, you know, at most minutes old. And as I finally got him on camera, I, I didn't get to see him. He was breaking some huge stuff, just like nothing, just breaking it, probably to intimidate me. And he had grunted once kind of softly. And then I had gone back over and I put my camera up and, and over the foliage, way, way up like this. And as I did that on the camera, you can see, or I, that's when I got to see what he, his face looks like um, and his overall height. But he raises up and looks, squints, looking through at the camera, through the brush and foliage. And you get a clear shot of his nose and an eye, and you get the, you get the other eye and the cone of the head and everything, but there's a little bit of stuff in front of part of it. And his head was so big, you know, I mean, his eyes are like this. You know, they're, um, it's so massive. The head's so massive that you don't really comprehend how something could be that large. And he was every bit of 10 foot up when I had my arm up. And when I turned to raise, he raises up again. And so probably another two feet. And this was seen and verified by people who I, before I ever pointed it out, people wrote me and said, Dude, my God, I saw that. And, and one guy said he's never believed him in his life. And he's gone over that video 50 times. He said that one moment is what convinced him. 
And, um, and so he was every bit of 12 foot tall, five foot across the shoulders, 23 inch long foot. Um, the foot at the front was 11 and a half inches wide. And the rear at the heel was six inches wide. And so you can imagine putting your foot sideways at the ball of his foot. And his foot is as wide as yours is long. Um, that's the size. Now, the fist prints that were left behind. You see, I sat down out there for like 45 minutes. And I sat down and I texted my girl. Actually, the first thing I did was text her right off the bat. I told her what was happening because I didn't know if I was going to, you know, if it was going to kill me or what. And I didn't want just to vanish. And um, so then about midway through the encounter, I went over and I sat down in an area about 150 feet from the edge of the brush there and uh they never left and and as i sat there i texted a few more people and i got up and i went back and when i went back over he grunted and he grunted in a way that it was time to leave like absolutely it's a time to leave the grunt that feels you hit it hits you in the chest you know hits you like a rolled up a, a roll of carpet that's what i tell people that's what how it is and when we went back there the next day where i had sat down I guess they examined that with prejudice because they had dug up the ground and just fluffed up the dirt six or eight inches deep and just destroyed about a 12 foot circle around where I was sitting. And then in the middle of that was a big fist print and a handprint about or a 15 inch uh, footprint and a fist print. And um, but next to those were the prints again of that big male. Um, but he was on all four. So he was just leaving the front of the ball of foot with his toes and his fists. And so his fists were 10 and a half to 11 inches wide. And so if you look at me, my fist is not five inches wide. It was more than twice the width of my fist. And I'm 5'11". And um, so his hands are by far big enough to, if he had proportionately to a human, he would be in excess of 12 foot tall. Um, but I believe they have really, he's got big hands. I mean, it's just part of them, I believe. Yeah. But so looking at his face, there used to be a graphic back in the day from my company with skateboards and stuff that it was no fear and it had these eyes mm -hmm. and the eyes were were it set like this you yep. know like this yep. you used to have that okay. no fear was a sponsor of my paintball team okay well those eyes are what he looked like because he was squinting a little bit but that raised the outsides there was none of this somber outside guard like an orang yeah. or or something like that where they have this somber kind of a, a look to it no it was like this and the outer parts of the brow were very square like like mine are kind of square and his you know in a way they're, they got this sharp angle it's not this round thing and that's how his was too very flat brow down and then it looked up you know they kind of not just i don't think just because he was squinting down like that it's just that's just how his eyes set so he had this very ancient um very rugged you know when you say caveman there's caveman but more than that you know like like caveman you know what i mean like yeah. like really stern hard uh masculine very 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 masculine everything was extremely masculine except the nose was not this big broad flat thing smashed on his face at all the nose would pass for your nose or my nose really um, uh -huh. And it looked kind of small, comparative to this, to the features, to the cheeks and the eyebrows and, and the eyes and stuff, compared to the rest of the cheeks. And um, 
So it's really intimidating. You can't even imagine what a 12-foot caveman looking at you, you know, uh, through there is like. And then uh, his coloration was kind of an ashy charcoal uh, black. I'd say black, but it's more of an ashy charcoal color. Uh, his face was too. So his face was the same color as basically the fur. He was very homogenous. It was, didn't have any contrast really between his face and not. Um, and that's that's what the that's what the big boy was, was, and that's what he looked like, and that's how he acted. And he, he you could tell he didn't like people at all, even though um, the juveniles in that group I've been around a lot of times they have no problem with me. They're they're in a sense fun and curious. You could kind of say, never never outrightly intimidating or anything like that. They've never really made an aggressive move toward me or anything. Um, but that day, the same younger subjects. Um, showed signs of intimidation and aggression showing up in, in the front presence. of dad yep that's what it seemed like and dad doesn't like people so sorry guy i can't like you today either yeah. you know but um and they were making kind of what you would consider with any wild animal aggressive maneuvering um uh, meeting me at, a, at an ambush pinch point every time i'd try to crawl in i tried to crawl in there and where maybe i could get a camera and get a shot uh 30 feet or 20 feet that was a big one. And, uh, but every time I tried to crawl in there, uh, there was a pinch point and it would have made a spot for an ambush. And instead of moving away from that pinch point, they moved as a smaller individual is still big, maybe two, 300 pounds, maybe more. Um, but he would meet, move to that pinch point with me and animals don't do that. Animals don't do that. Not unless they're going to grab you. And so I, I could not make myself, you know, go through there any deeper. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I also got a picture of this smaller subject, too, with SLR, and it's not great because there's a lot of foliage, but I did get the focus, uh, field of focus correct, so he is in focus, but there's a lot of stuff between you and him, and he has, we already knew, and so it tells me who he is, he has almost a orang-colored hair, it's really orangish red, and then um, it's not very long on his head, it hangs, it's kind of almost comical because it kind of lays flat on his head and rolls down, and there's no pointed cone to their head, their head's big and it's tall, but it's but it's very round. Because when the hair's all smashed down on it, you can see what it's like. The big one kind of looks like he has kind of a little tough, like a blockhead dog. But I think that's the hair. I think that's his hair. I really do. All right. Before we forget, uh, when we start talking, it it goes a long time, and I don't want to miss out on any uh, opportunity. Let yeah. everybody know where they can find your videos and stuff on on the Bigfoot stuff. Uh, your website, your Facebook, all that stuff. Let's let's hit it now, and we'll hit it again at the end. Okay, yeah, um, I'm actually going to bring up our 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 one site here as we do this. So you can find us on YouTube at KX Space Crider Exploration. Um, you can pretty much search Google for Crider Exploration, and we've got a lot of stuff kind of tucked everywhere. So you can find us through a Google search, but our our YouTube channel is the best place to view our video evidence and what with the work we've done with universities and some of our presentations to scientific groups and Michigan conference and things like that. Um, we also have a Facebook page just for the cryptid subject at KX cryptid research group slash Bigfoot and more. And that is a, that's the main group where we do our posting and things. And then we have interaction and we also have a Facebook group called Crider Exploration because we do a lot of historical stuff, real off-the-wall enigmatic ancient technology and things like that for real, just like Bigfoot. And um, that, that site's more to that one. And then we have a page that's Crider Exploration. Um, you can also find us on Patreon. 
uh, Crider Exploration. And uh, if you wish to support us on there, or join us as a, as a member on there and get uh, updates and highlights, things like that. And um, we actually have a store on eBay as well, and it's called Crider Exploration Gear. And um, that's where we have an outlet for our KXPD3 parabolic microphone that's been outstandingly popular. We've got over 50 of them out there now in the last couple of years. Never had a complaint. Featured, um, featured on the uh, Expedition Bigfoot uh, television series as well. Yeah, I built one custom. And it was actually one of the earlier prototypes, uh, the KXPD2, uh, before this recent edition for uh, Russell Accord. And he used that and, and outstanding results on there. The sound crew said it beat out their $30,000 environmental recording equipment, that it was gaining better audio than their stuff was. So um, that's what we got to hear in the show. Uh, so that was a great deal. And, yeah, so you can you can also find access to that at, at our website at CriderExploration.com. Um, we do have a research archive in there. There's very little. There is very interesting stuff. It's worth looking at, but there's very little Bigfoot related in there as of yet. We've been trying to build and construct this thing over time, and it's been quite an endeavor with the rest of the things we've got going on. Um, but uh, so you can also we have a store there. We have access to T-shirts and things like that. Um, on all our videos, Frontier is a T-shirt company we work with. You're welcome to go to them. We get a little kickback off each one of those sales. Certainly don't get rich, but it helps. So uh, that's where you can find us, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody over there. And I'm going to say this right now. If you hit our YouTube channel, I know everybody says it, but please subscribe to that channel because um, you can see our history throughout time. We went through views of 30,000, 40,000 views, things like that, just down to 1,000, 1,700. And it's been a long climb back up because we've basically been full-blown blocked shadow band. Um, I was just telling Eric early on, we had some financial blocking here recently. Um, and it's all adjusted to the fact that what we're trying to tell you is truth, not supposition. And we're not coming from a point that this is a myth. So, Yeah, that, that stuff we were talking about before we started recording is, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's amazing that that kind of stuff can happen to a, to a normal individual. You know, you're not, you're not uh, a highly affluent uh, businessman. You're not a, you're not a, a government uh, uh, in, a, in a position of uh, notoriety. You're just an average dude out there doing above average uh, stuff. And, and to get messed with that hard, uh, yeah. especially around the time of year that it happened, uh, seems highly suspect and, and really is just a, it's a shame that something yeah, well, like you that know, would there's happen. not a single, I don't think there's a single live stream we've done where I reminded people to check their subscription status that someone didn't, at least one, sometimes a lot more, didn't write in and say, hey, man, I was unsubscribed. Um, it's continual. And our subscribers are growing. And they're actually growing fast for as much content as we get to put out there. Um, things have been slow a little bit now, uh, but they're about to pop right off. We've got a bunch of stuff about to hit. But... Uh, but yeah, it's it's been amazing the the growth in spite of them just trying to take them from us. Yeah. And so, like I said, I encourage everybody, please, you know, to like, subscribe, all that stuff. Make sure your bell's checked, whatever. Make sure your subscription's good, um, and to do all that because we really do want to get information out there. If I wanted to be famous, I've already been offered over fourteen TV shows. Um, it's not a game, and, and we're not here to play the game. And and I've already had quite a bit of fame doing other stuff. You know, I was known for my treasure stuff for a long time. Um, years and years ago, and, and and I felt I got all the notoriety I needed. You know, we've been on TV for Bigfoot, we've been on the news, we've been everywhere. I don't really care about that so much um, as I do that 
hey man, the whole point of us be doing this since I was a kid is I'm trying to show a reality of something that's out there and not just to show that there's still something to wonder about in the world is still magical. There's so much undiscovered that no, don't stop exploring. Don't stop expecting new and wonderful discoveries. No, we don't know as much as we totally claim to know. Um, there's more that doesn't fit into our storyline of both history and other things with that cryptids and things than, than it does fit. And that the magic's not gone yet. The wonder and the curiosity isn't gone yet. And that was the purpose of all this. Um, so how can we do that if we can't get the voice out, right? So that's where my appreciation goes. You know, it's a privilege to be on your show, Eric, but more to me, it's valuable because it's an assisting vehicle to help drag us through the mud. I mean, we're not rolling down a paved surface here. We're like sure. everyone else can just gain momentum and inertia. It becomes a downhill run. I don't care how downhill it gets. We're, we're in three foot thick of mud. We're not going to move anywhere without cooperation from people like you and the public to grab hold of the ropes and start tugging. Because if not, a lot of this, what we've been able to glean throughout all these years of real serious research and, and, and looking into this, um, it's just going to go to a waste and that's not going to be good. So, yeah. And, you know, I gotta get, I, I'm going to jump back to something that you were just saying, you know, about the uh, uh, where you got some of your, your notoriety and your, your fame with the uh, um, exploration stuff. Um, you look back into history, uh, go back to a time, and, and some of you can't, which is unfortunate, but some of you go back in time to when you were in, in high school and learning about history and the explorers the explorers in in that time are the reason that we are here in this country living the lives that we're living now mm-hmm. it's because of them and you know that's not to say that you know robert is is the uh, reincarnation of christopher columbus or or uh, you know uh, rather be shackleton the, the the vikings or you know anybody that was here before um, but it's, it's due to people with a constitution like he has that things are discovered. And that's what we're talking about. The discovery of things that are not yet known. Well, you know, it's interesting. You say, we say the word discovery and we, that sounds like that's the hard part and it isn't, I mean, it's hard and yeah, it's hard and it's hard. It's hard but it's not near as hard as sharing the discovery. Yeah. It's been absolute nightmare. Um, when you find a site that everyone has wanted to find so bad that they've invested their life into their theory and this and that, you hand them the site, you ruin their world. Um, and, and it's been like that. I mean, we have already made discoveries that the world needs to know about which is why we're looked at and blocked and things. The powers of being know this. I've worked with the powers of being in the past, so I know they know. And um, no, and I won't show the stuff I, 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 I can't. Um, but there's so much that we can and want to that would be considered earth-shattering. They're not just history-changing, earth-shattering. And um, getting the word out is, is, is almost impossible because I can't just tell you about it. Because like uh, most of the stuff we have, we have everything to show you, but showing you is not just a simple thing. It's not something you can do on a podcast. It's not even something I can loosely do on a website. Um, You know, we need a vehicle that can deliver this type of a load to the masses. Um, 
one that one that'll operate with incentive, not just its own inertia, because uh, that inertia is not going to be high enough um, with all the things that that want to stop us from getting this out. I mean, some of this stuff is extremely controversial. There are um, groups, you could say, with with no interest in this information coming to light, period. Um, but it's time. It's, it's been time as far as I'm concerned. But, of course, naturally things happen as they're supposed to progress. But if I don't shout at the Raptors at this point when every opportunity I have, like the one you've given me today, Eric, um, then I, my responsibility has been thrown out because I have to do everything I can do to tell you, hey, look, we found this. It's right there. You people need to look at this thing, right? And um, that's what we're trying to do. So it's so, uh, you know, that's like I said, that's the hard part. Discovery's hard. Discovery's been impossible. Some of the things we found people have looked for, dedicated their lives in the search of for 3,000 years. And we've located them. We've got them. And we want to show you, right? But I can't show you in a way that tomorrow there'll be a bigwig on TV changing the interpretation, the meaning, the history, everything about the site before you get it. Or already trying to discredit the site with some other stuff that I can never shoot down just because of the populist base they have. The amount that they can reach in in any given demographic is so great that you can't remove what they say. So the moment I show it, they're going to grab and do that again. Bigfoot's been kind of a small example of that. It's a big thing. This could change the world as well. And and the way people feel about many, many things, even though they aren't aware of that right now, they're not even aware of what it's going to do to them when the truth comes out. But it's still 2% of what we have to contribute. It's Imagine that. So... All right, Robert, one more time. Why don't you tell everybody about the uh, the, the high-tech listening device that you have? Yeah, it's uh, called a KXPD3. That stands for basically Crider Exploration Parabolic uh, Dish 3. So it's the third generation of the design. Um, I'll start off, I'm going to give just a little back history. Boyd Omer from BFRO, great. But regardless of what anyone thinks about BFRO, some of the investigators are absolutely the best people in the world. And Boyd Omer is one of them. And he's... Uh, a Genercraft mechanic, I think FedEx jets or something like that. So he's, just, he's no dummy. And um, he wanted a parabolic dish. He didn't want to buy anything out there. So he called me and wanted me to basically design and build him one. And I wanted to go over the top. So I developed a new theorem, uh, the way that sound acts in an animal's ears. You'll notice that they don't look like any uh, parabolic dish you've ever seen or, or the standard parabola. And that they're soft and fuzzy and and corrugated and everything, but the sound that they'll pick up is far superior to any other device, right? So um, that's because sound acts like a fluid and not just a waveform through the air column. And so it moves the air as a fluid. And what I did is designed it to to do the same way an animal's ear treats the fluid itself or the fluid dynamic to the air pressure. And so I sent that out to him and, and it blew his mind. And I said, you know, what do you think it's worth? And he just he sent me money and said, don't sell them for less than that, you know, an amount, the amount we've got basically. And, um, and then I took it from there. Other people, he, he went out and said, showed people that blew their minds. And basically, um, for comparison, you can use a 29 inch Kohler dish is rated to pick up a human voice at 900 feet. We've all heard them during the NFL games and you hear, it sounds like you're listening to somebody through a seashell, right? Um, Ours aren't like that. So I can pick up a human voice at that amplitude over a mile and do so with full frequency response. 
So I get all the bass, all the treble, everything, and without all that other noise. So we can focus our dish from a seven, from a 170 degree wide angle, picking up about 80% of noise. You still get some behind you, um, about 80% of your noise, 170 degree wide, and you can change the setting on ours to a, a spot setting. So like a flashlight, when you slide the deal out, it makes the beam go small, and the beam goes 10 times as far. Well, that's exactly what happens with the settings change. So then we're listening to like a two degree wide spot um, at five times that range. And um, so you can, I mean, like on uh, Expedition Bigfoot, uh, they recorded a subject breathing at a couple hundred yards. So you're listening to it inhale and exhale. Um, some of the last recording we did in, in Colorado, um, I could hear the arm whoosh when the rock came into camp. You could look at the spectral analyzer and see the whoosh to the arm throw, literally, to what threw the rock um, and stuff like that. So it's pretty amazing piece. Um, what it's been able to do is blown my mind. Um, the longest recorded was one feather, um, great guy up in uh, British Columbia, and he said that they recorded a human yelling at when they found where the people were. They were eight kilometers away, so five miles away they could record them wow. through the Pacific Northwest Mountains. And so you can imagine what this can do for you yeah. in in this type of study because we all the way down to infrasonic. If your recording device will take those frequencies in. And digitize them. This unit will pick them up, and so that's what's pretty amazing about it. And I wanted to uh, let people know as well. Right now, um, we're going to have to raise the price on them, um, and that's going to be in a couple weeks from from the recording date. Um, so, uh, so when that comes up, and if anyone sees this and lets me know, contacts me, whatever, I'll lock in uh, the same price as they were when we when we did this for them. Um, if we raise the price, but we're going to have to go up. So since I started with them three years ago, um, we have not had a price increase at all, even though our costs have just about doubled in production. And, and I'll add, it's it's gone all the way up now. You know, we have the frames uh, laser cut and uh, mandrel belt uh, by a company here in the USA. The alloys are absolute space age alloys, some of the best stuff you can use. Um, you know, we're all using carbon nylon for our polymers. Um, everything except the handle and the, the dish itself is made in-house. We have the dish custom made for us um, out of polycarbonate. And so, you know, you're getting a quality of a unit that, that can be bounced around and used the way we use them. Yeah. And, um, and that's a big deal. It was all part of making it because my deal is this. They're my ears out there. I want to hear everything. I want to hear speech. I want to hear vocalizations. I want to hear conversations. I want people to get as much as they can. I want to see this stuff come to light. So these are like sticking in my own set of ears out into the field, if you can kind of imagine that. Because my dream is to hear back what people are getting, man. Right. And so that really it blows me when I do that. That's why I did it. And again, you got to have something you can take out there when it's cold and it's not going to break. You know, we test them to 15 below zero, beat the living out of them. You can't break the dish. Um, um, they'll just store it. If you store them the wrong way, you can you can kind of develop a memory and warp. But you just put them out on a warm day, put them flat, they straighten right back out. So I tried to create something that that was within the cost area uh, that people could get their hands on them, and at the same time with a quality standard that we're going to get really high quality cinema quality data. Um, and, and audio sampling coming back so that this is going to help. I feel it's going to help the entire field of our study because um, we're already, you know, we've heard things that just unimaginable, you know, and with a quality that can be analytically uh, 
or I should say analyzed. So it, it can be looked at through the sound spectrum. People can do analytical work on, on the vocal structure and larynx and things when you're getting quality of the, like this. So um, I think it's, so I appreciate the, the plug or let me spit it out there. But at the same time, I really want people to know because this, I think, is what they've been waiting for. Um, you can escape our, our military thermal. You can get away with from that. You can hide from that, but you can't stop making noise yeah. when you can hear that well. You can always find them. So. And what your your I think your website says what 25, 25 times more powerful, more sensitive than any other unit available. Well, then our to the leading public. competitor. So our leading competitor is a um, is a well our actual leading competitor. I hate to say it is basically a toy. So I see hundreds of researchers that have this toy. You can get them. Oh, I get them from the- AliExpress for. <laughs> Yeah, for seven dollars a piece, I can get them even yeah. cheaper than that if I buy a lot. But I can get them for seven bucks. You pay about sixty bucks if you haven't seen the right ad for thirty. Um, so we're twenty-five times at least the range of something like that. And when I say twenty-five times, you don't you got to realize what that is. You know, it's it's if that thing will reach three hundred feet, you know. We're talking 7,005. We're down a mile and a half at twenty-five times. So we're looking at that type of ranges. Um, and even a Kohler dish, the best they've got. And I think the dish alone, they sell 2600 bucks. No microphone. Just the dish with a couple handles and a strap. Um, and you're talking 900 feet on a human voice, and it sounds like a seashell. And what we're doing for right now, 590, we'll do five times that range at cinema quality audio. And we sell it with a microphone, a two-channel mixer, and an amplifier. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, and, and I know that might still be out of the range of some people, but this isn't a lightweight device. This is a serious thing. And I can't explain the advantage it gives a person in the field. Um, it's insane. So, yeah, they're quiet. Um, they're not that quiet. Nothing's that quiet. You can hear everything. And which is kind of bad because if you have it in camp and people are camped within 100 feet of it snoring, even behind it, you're going to pick up every body, body function they have. Everything's <laughs> going to be on there, even if it's behind the dish. Heaven forbid they're in front of the dish because then it's going to sound like it's literally coming from a whale or something. I mean. Our friends over at Manscaped would like to wish everyone a happy new year. The ball is officially dropped, but that doesn't mean you have to drop the ball on your balls in 2023. Whether you've had a New Year's kiss or not, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming have you covered for your much-needed resolution of bringing sexy back. Join the 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code UNCOMFORTABLE22 for 20% off and free shipping. It's a new year, new balls, with the global leader in below-the-waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and other premium wet goods. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. The advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate parts. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your new 2023 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest parts of your body and are a big boost to your confidence in the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs as free gifts to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. If you really want to make 2023 the year to remember, make sure to try out Manscaped's wet goods as well. This includes their ultra premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo, and body deodorant. These products are the absolute perfect follow-up for any visit to the gym. 
Cheers to new balls in 2023. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code uncomfortable22 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code uncomfortable22. Time to feel sexy and free in 2023. Well, if you heard about it on Uncomfortable, do me a favor. If you reach out to them and you're looking to buy one of these products, uh, let them know you heard it here on Uncomfortable. Maybe this guy will uh, send me a T-shirt or something for it. <laughs> yeah, not only that, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I'll do is if um, if they go through you, Eric, and um, and and uh, let you know to let me know who they are exactly, so we know they're coming from your from your viewing audience. Okay. Um, we'll we can uh, we'll give them a deal on it too. So um, I'm gonna let everyone that's watching or that sees this video, you let me know you watched it. Um, give me a little info about what we talked about here today and how it went, and and I'll lock you in on this this five ninety because we're going to be raising the price. Anybody that comes through off Eric's viewer, let Eric know, and I'll give you ten percent off that price. That's a deal, man. That's a deal, especially nowadays. I mean, you you can't go to the grocery store and pick up anything that you were able to buy a year and a half ago uh, for even close yeah. to the price that it was before. So uh, I encourage That's basically any of you- five takes. Yeah, but it was well a little bit ago. It was about five tanks of gas and a pickup, you know. Yeah. Um, now it's we we our gas has done a little better than that, but that's kind of the way I look at it. You know, I've took the family out to breakfast a couple of months ago, and and it, you know it was eighty eight bucks to just for us to eat a, a two egg breakfast, the four of us. So it's kind of like there there you go. You know, five that's breakfasts insane. and you got a and six breakfasts, you got a dish. So. Insane. Well, you heard it here. If you're interested, and I know I know there's a number of uh, researchers, especially in the Michigan area, and a couple down in Texas, and uh, if you if you're interested in it, you're you're not going to get a better piece of equipment for this kind of money anywhere. Yeah, and you can. It's not that hard to actually find people that have them if you want to see them use in the field. Don Snyder and others have have been putting up some videos and stuff where they're using their units. Um, like I said, we've got over 50 of them out there right now and uh, between the U.S. and Canada. And um, we've even, you know, uh, we've had uh, inquiries from Ukraine from the war and you, to be used over there and uh, from Germany and, and some other places, too. So so they're, they're out there if people want to want to get a chance to look now on Facebook. Anytime you see one of our deals, you can go to our groups that we've mentioned earlier in the show. And um, we've got some posts there with a hashtag. Uh, which is the number symbol and then KXPD3 and it's lightened. You can click on any of those and you'll go back and you'll get to see research and development. You'll get to see us testing the units, sound being done, um, how we went through and, and developed and, and, and finalize the product, making advancements over time and, and things like that. You get a little backdoor view because uh, each time we do these posts on our personal on Facebook, we always hashtag them KXPD3 and, and that way the customers who already own them, you know, we've actually got a little, uh, kind of a little society or a little group of those people who own those in, in the field right now yeah. who are now, you know, working together and collaborating and things. So it's really neat to see this kind of organically form. So. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, um, and I'm, I'm speaking to the listeners. Um, you know, you've, if you watch Expedition Bigfoot and, and you enjoy the show, and I enjoy the show, um, you know, there's still production value that goes into it. And, you know, they want people to come back every week and, and watch the new episodes. But it's featured in in the last season of uh, Expedition Bigfoot. And mm-hmm. what you what most of you probably don't get 
is the opportunity that I had to speak with Russ Accord in person and have a conversation with him about the unit that 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 you're talking about. And I don't even know about this, so this will be great. It, it was it was just, um, well, it <laughs> it was kind of like the beginning of of this episode where I was just kind of gushing on how fantastic you are with your presentation and everything. Um, that's basically what he was, uh, the way he was speaking about your equipment. Um, you know, what, what we see in Expedition Bigfoot, as far as uh, the use of it, is, is very, very little. You know, it's, it's featured, but, you know, we don't get a whole lot of information about what they captured with it. Um, but after, right. talk, after talking with him in person at length, uh, it, it's pretty astounding the, the things that they, they captured with it. So um, they're nothing but rave reviews uh, from somebody who has used it in the field and, and used it for its intended purpose. Yeah, and I've got a few of them now that even the KXPD2s, before we went to these really advanced alloys and things that have been in the field and been used consistently um, for a few years now. I know Boyd's used his well over 20 times in outings because he does this for real. And, um, and we haven't had any, any you know, major issues. We haven't had any issues. Um, Russ's, I did, he stopped by my house, and we did take his in and, and gave, gave it a quick overhaul and upgraded it some, and it actually needs it again um, because he's, he doesn't have the latest and greatest frame and things, and, and um, that's something I always want to do with him so that, you know, because he was so gracious about putting us out there. You know, Russ is an amazing guy. And yeah. a lot of people look at him like, oh, he goes, he's egotistical. He's one. Hey, Russ does this stuff. I don't want to hear from anybody. And he went above and beyond just above and beyond for us. And he's always treated us like gold and he doesn't need to. Um, there's no reason whatsoever he has to gain from doing that. He's done a lot of things nobody knows about. And that's what, that's what sets the quality of an individual. And he's an amazing guy. So it's good to hear that. It really is. And I want everybody to know. So like he said, it was used on Expedition Bigfoot. It was season two, I believe, episode two. And uh, they actually did a little, a little uh, focus on the unit. And they show computer graphics of kind of how it works and stuff like that. And that, that actually ticked me off pretty good. That was a neat deal to see because somebody in production took the time yeah. to 3D model it into a computer and, and do all the dramatization and how it operates. So I thought that was really cool. So, yeah, it'll be neat for people to see that. All right. Let's move off of the uh, the terrestrial plane, uh, as it were, and let's move into uh, let's move into some some of the weirder stuff. We kind of uh, we kind of threatened it uh, way way back in our first episode, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you, you've got something for the end of the show that uh, is if people haven't heard about it by now. Uh, it's going to blow your mind, and uh, but let, let's start off with uh, some of the weirder stuff that you've seen, uh, not necessarily looking down at the ground or in front of you, but uh, what, you, what you've experienced uh, looking up. Well, um, as you know, and, and as you don't know, so over, our, over my life experience, we've just seen an awful lot of stuff, so... Um, <laughs> A lot of what, you know, I don't use the term UAP much because um, unidentified aerial phenomenon could be a cloud, mm -hmm. uh, anything. Um, I use UFO, unidentified flying object, when we can see it's an object. Um, you know, we've had a lot of experiences, uh, daytime, nighttime, looking up, even looking down on them. 
um, UFOs, discs, um, different cylinders, um, long, white, almost like thin rectangles and things like that. And uh, those are all amazing. And um, we've got one video on our YouTube of a small light that flies over. Uh, it's a 21 minute video. This isn't, we've recorded it for 30 seconds and took the camera away. And then it um, emits what looks like a giant cloud of glowing plasma that then slowly forms into a giant disc that's at least a mile wide. And then that basically flies away and later in it, the uh, smaller craft is ejected from its roof or something. Um, you know, so it's been, been pretty crazy. On uh, recently though, and on the cryptid side of things, we did, or we're lucky enough to catch sighting of a pterosaur or like a pterodactyl basically, uh, uh, flying reptile, same type of genre, but different species. Um, and, and that was, that was quite unique. So, and what that was that I had had a report of a small pterosaur sighting by a guy I trust, a young guy that absolutely there's just no, there's no bull, no bull in him. Um, and he came over and said, Hey, we just, just saw a little pterodactyl is what he called it. <laughs> and he said, it wasn't very big. He said it was maybe a, you know, a couple of feet across two or three feet across the wings, but they saw it at 15 or 18 feet away from them in the middle of the day, low altitude, right next to them um, uh, at this crossing this little creek. Now, this little creek's only maybe a mile uh, from where my house is. I'm sitting right now. And it didn't really surprise me too much because this valley is insane. I mean, honestly, no, no, all the respect in the world to Skinwalker guys and all that. But this place makes that look like romper room. Um, there's some wild stuff here. And it's because nobody's really ever been here. Nobody's allowed to be out here. It's all private. It was land, early land grant. It was all policed. Um, even the powers that be have blocked everything from a Six Flags amusement center to Walmart. They don't want people here. And it's because of what's around here. And maybe these things is one of them. But so he had told me about this little brown, chocolate brown, leathery. He said didn't have any feathers, um, had a long slender tail with a club on it. And it flew right next to their car real slow. And they saw it just totally clear. And so we went out, we looked at that spot and everything. And of course we didn't see anything right then, but um, and I logged that information and we're gonna be doing a production on this too, probably a couple of them. So I want people to stay in tune because it's also gonna involve not only um, Rex Yappy from Papua New Guinea, who also is conducting these type of research there, um, that will also go a lot more detail about what I'm about to tell you about, which is the pterosaur we got to see and um, which was very recent. And this was a, a, a small, same thing. We saw exactly what was reported to me. And what it was, we were on our way back from our Bigfoot expedition in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And it's recent, just got it on YouTube and all this. And yeah, we were Jason coming down. Kenzie's, Jason Kenzie's yeah. latest effort, right? Well, he, he re filmed for his latest documentary on that outing. Um, but we have our own video already up uh, on our YouTube channel called the Colorado Bigfoot Expedition 2022. And, um, and so, yeah, Jason Kenzie was actually with us. I was riding down with Joe Kyle Parsons, Todd Parsons' son, and uh, they were going to drop me back off in New Mexico on their way to Texas. And so it was Joe and Jason and I were cruising down and we, there's a large escar break in the escarpment here where you it's basically relatively level and then you drop off a huge escarpment into these big, big red rock mesa lands, like what you see in all the westerns and stuff, real cool, big stuff. And um, that's the valley I live in. 
And we dropped off the escarpment, dropped down in there. It was all mind-blowing and everything. And I told them, guys, yeah, this valley's awesome, man. This is the valley where that little pterosaur report to me was. Um, and just 40 more miles, and we'd be to where that was and, and where I live. And so we weren't that deep in yet. And we progressed maybe another five minutes and 60 miles an hour. And um, and then all of a sudden, boom. And what we had was to set the scene for you was we had a, an overcast sky. It was midday, but the sky was overcast. So it was a bright, bright day. And it was warm. It was in the high 60s, low 70s. No water or anything like that. Just a blanket of, of bright, bright, bright gray, not dim. And, um, and we're cruising. And this thing comes over the car from our right to our left um, about 15 feet off the ground and when we passed under it had just slightly gone by that the driver's corner of the car there the pickup and um, we were about 30 feet from it and so and it was turning as it went by it was curving right by us so I got us we got uh, about a three-quarter forward view we got a um, a side view and then and I turned around looking out the slats between the headache rack and the truck I kind of got a rear view and um, and it was just a showstopper you know it's one of these things where well with myself personally man I've saw a lot of weird stuff so I'm extremely disciplined in what, what I do when a time like that I stop I don't get amazed I don't get scared I don't get excited I don't get anything I stop and I look at it and I study it and I look at it to see and make sure the details are there for what I'm looking at. And, and, I, and I have a little model here I can show you actually um, of what I was seeing. And it was neat because I didn't, after it went, it happened pretty fast. And after it went by, I, I just said I was the first person to speak. And it's funny because you could go, we went under hundreds of birds. We see birds all the time, no big deal. And all I had to say to those guys was, do you guys know what we just saw? And he said, yeah, but I wasn't going to say anything, Jason. <laughs> Joe said, it looked like a little dragon, is oh, what Joe shit. said. And I said, tell me the tale. Tell me the tale so I know what I was seeing. I said, I'm not going to say anything. He said, it was a long, slender, string-looking thing with a little spade-looking club on the end. And I said, yep, exactly. And that's we all saw it. And what I want to show to you, this is... This is kind of an addition of, of what we saw. And excuse the little bent beak here, a little plastic guy's got his nose messed up. But so, but what you'll notice here is this club tail, this long, thin tail here. You can see it in front of my hand to see it better. And you've got this club, and this is exactly what was on that. And then you have these protrusions here. You see the little fingers sticking up off the wings there? Yeah where you have the claws to the hand. And then sure. this whole bone is just what would be your pinky finger, basically, or your second finger. So this whole bone would be your pinky. Now, and the rest of the hand stick up. These claws were sticking up out of the front of the wingtip. Now, I'll say the only inconsistency, and I think this is because humans modeled this, is that the wing went out just like this. But here, it wasn't curved back like that dramatically. And it was much, it wasn't even, it had a curve, but it wasn't that dramatic. And it was much more triangular in look as it came off the wing like that. And as it moved, it was really cool because, you know, they make them pretty fluid in Jurassic Park, but nowhere near as graceful and fluid as it was. It was like even a bird wing, a bird wing looks fluid. Of course, mm -hmm. but 
if I take a pencil or something and bounce it, so does that, right? Right. You Probably get the, do it on cam on yeah. camera. Looks like it's rubber. Yeah. Right. Looks like it's bending. So bird wings do that. But really, if you notice, they they're flattening the ends move and they're flattening the ends move and they're flattening the ends move. And this didn't look like that. It was just the motion was just so fluid. And that's why. And it was almost un, there was an undulation at the same time. You know what I mean? And that's why I think that Joe looked at it. It was flying like a dragon. He said it looked like a little dragon. And that's why, because it wasn't flying like a bird. It didn't look like that. It was so much, it was much more serpentine, you know, in the, in, in the way that it's moved. It was much more entire body fluid than, than any, than a bird is. Cause even the bird with tail feathers, the feathers are stiff. They're not doing this with the body. And so that tail was following the body in that trail, like no bird I've ever seen in my life. Um, and again, we couldn't tell the color because we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have sunlight. So, but what we could see was, was all even colored. Whatever it was had no other color other than that dark, dark, dark. And it wasn't dark enough to be black. So it was either a charcoal or a dark brown. Um, but we didn't have the sunlight to get the color, color off of it. And so, but that's matching still what was reported to us. And then I could see no, no back legs. Um, I don't know where it tucked, where it has its back legs tucked and how they're tucked into the body, but I could not see legs hanging down. And even the birds, if you look closely, you can see all their legs. Um, but yeah, no, I couldn't see them. So he had to hold them kind of tucked into its body real hard, uh, which was cool. And it was about three feet across the wings, probably give or take a foot, um, and, and a little shorter than that long in body. With the tail, with all the tail and all, it was long as the wings were wide. Uh, but that's with that long slender tails. That, that's just an amazing, I, I can't even imagine, you know, the, <laughs> I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. um, it, it would have to be like you were, um, it, I don't even know. I don't even know how I would react to seeing something like that. I mean, initially, I think the, the thought would be, you know, I'm, I'm not getting something. I'm, I'm, I'm missing, you know, my brain's not reading something the right way. Um, I'm having a stroke or, you know, um, I, I can't, cool. I, I can't even imagine cool. the conversation after you guys saw that. Um, but you know, you guys had, even though you're not able to, to see the color exactly for what it was because of the lighting conditions, you still obviously got an awful lot of information from from what you were able to see, and oh yeah. Um, so you, yeah, and, you and, had, and I'll tell you. Well, go ahead, go ahead, Eric. Go well, ahead. you you had the you had the one report uh, from the the younger guy who had seen essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm. Are there? Yeah. So know, that was my next point before you even ask. So um, it doesn't stop there. So okay. <laughs> I have heard of stuff like that out here before from raptors, like lizards that stand on our hind legs. They used to be called mountain boomers that people had to kill them with shovels. They were stood three foot tall, um, would chase you. Uh, they could cause a rotting bite, um, things like that, like a, like a monitor lizard does. Um, they have those. They have really? raptors out here that are five, six foot tall. Um, so this isn't out of the question. Plus, we have lots of petroglyphs here of 
of raptors of yeah. the large and small all the way through what we consider cretaceous period uh animals and as well pterodactyls so so it's not that out of question and i've heard of a couple of things in the sky being seen before but nothing deliberate but when i went ahead and related what we had just seen i had a couple of ranchers talk to us and say it's no bull they're real and that's they get a lot bigger than that then I had another guy come to me, a young kid, kind of a thuggy guy, nice guy, and tell us that five years ago they saw two big ones way at high altitude. And he said they knew for a fact they weren't birds. You could completely see what they were, even though they were high. But the most interesting part was when a rancher and hunter local here related to us that, yes, they're out there. Um, they see them that they see them pretty frequently between this these two big mesas and it's a vast area it's like 20 miles between the two but they're and they're big you know very broken up no one gets out in this country at all so he has he also has permission to hunt these grounds and he said he was hunting out there one year and found what they thought were ostrich ostrich egg shells up in the cliffs yeah. or in the cliffy areas and he said because they were so big they were obviously eggs but they were huge and he said the only thing they could think of they would have come from would be an ostrich there's no ostrich out there we we do have ranchers that own them but they would, would never live long in the wild out here because this is a real wild country we still have mountain lions and everything else and 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 you're not gonna have a breeding population even if you did it's not gonna be out there laying eggs um and he said that there was these scattered clutches that they noticed. So they were kind of in more than one spot. And he said, and if you want the truth about it, he told me who to go talk to who owns the Mesa because he sees them all the damn time. And what he related to me was, it's not those damn big cats getting our livestock. It's those damn big birds. No shit. So they're a nuisance to these guys. And these guys don't tell stories. If you tell a story like that, you're just all going to get laughed at. Even if the other guy's seen one too, they're still going to laugh at each other. These are all hardcore cowboys. They don't, they're not going to tell anybody else about it. That's for damn sure. So uh, I felt really lucky that they felt they could relate that to us. And we got an invitation to go out, you know, hey, go talk to this guy, whatever. And so we're good. This is, it doesn't stop here. So um, we're going to go do a follow up on it. We're going to do an investigation and we're going to get out into that country where they are and see what we can really do. So, so. you're, I mean, it sounds like this is is a very new uh, venture for you. Um, you know, it, it it just happened. You you've got your eyes on one, so you know that the thing exists now, or, or mm -hmm. at least something exists. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, with the 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 cowboys that have talked about, you know, it's these damn big birds that are coming and getting our our livestock. Um, have, have you gotten kind of a, a grasp on? You know, like how long have these been going on? Is it is it something well, that's been you know ongoing for you know years and years and years, well, or is it something yeah in New more res recent? Yeah, in New Mexico itself, there's always always been sightings of these raptor kind of lizards, these pterodactyls or pterosaurs or whatever they are, um, giant birds as well. And the people say they're definitely not the same thing. Um, we have quite a few. You know, even the director of the University of uh, New Mexico Gallup related to me that they had something like this that was landing on the rooftops of houses on the res up there and uh, picked up one guy, got him three feet in the air and dropped him, uh, ripped his leather jacket on both sides where it picked him off the ground at night. Um, and definitely nocturnal, I'll say that as far as the big ones go, because everything, oh, I can't say that, I guess. There has been a couple related to us daytime sightings, but most have all been nighttime stuff happening with these things. Yeah. Um, 
which is interesting. So yes, they have been. Now in this immediate area in this valley, yeah, this is weird zone, man. If you can get people to talk about it, it's just really strange. And no one goes out here after dusk. Um, all the landowners say if you have to turn your lights on, you're out there way too late. So nobody. And all the uh, all the uh, the indigenous and and the later migrant workers and things like that, um, they don't either. They'll sit on their porch at night, but that's it. And you ask them why, and they say, Diablos, Diablos, the devil's out there. The devil lives here. And so it's always been, you know, real off the wall. And, and you know, it really is. There is backdoor gov stuff here, what you'd consider off-worlder presence here, maybe even permanent presence here, um, and things like that that are, that are well-known. So, yeah, and we deal with that stuff. We've actually had run-ins with all kinds of so. Wait a minute now. Off-worlder, you, you got to... Or uh, either you, extraterrestrial or ultra-terrestrial. So they're either from here, um, separated from humanity uh, inside the planet, or they're coming from somewhere else and temporarily occupying zones inside the planet. So one or the other. You got you to gotta elaborate on that. Well... Um, those little three-toed guys, man. Um, that's what they are. So they're probably reptilian or dinosauric, um, what you'd call the Solarian hypothesis or that the mm. Solarians had evolved to a, a point uh, early on, long before humans uh, of human equivalent and have been here ever since, uh, basically living in the shadows of humanity, manipulating, utilizing and things humanity that's, that's one thing that's out there. Um, you know, we have the Native American ant people and, and things like that from the Hopi. Um, more so, we have off-worlders, and we have uh, the inner-earth-dwelling beings that, that most of the indigenous have spoke about and that we frequently find in hidden places on petroglyphs, which is these are the subjects that have egg-shaped or widened heads, big eyes, um, long slender necks long appendages three toes three fingers um, always shown in comparison to five toed five seen uh humans things like that and um you know that's what that's why everything tied together for us with bigfoot aliens and it's all the same stuff for us um the ancient sites we find often that are even treasure related um often depict individuals that these what we call reptoids because they have reptoid characteristics but they're humanoid in appearance um they'll have reptoids they'll have bigfoot we've seen where it's been a native shaman a reptoid to bigfoot on the same glyph and these are on, on and around and under megalithic constructions um so these tie all these things together um our contacts like in the defense laboratories and stuff like that call them off-worlders um it's just what it's a generic term uh, for any one of these subjects, whether or not they've been here on the planet for a million years, 10,000 years, they got here yesterday, um, but, but that's the generic title. And they attribute much of the what we call the megalithic constructions to these off-worlders that a lot of times they don't make any sense to us because they weren't erected or constructed with the same sensibilities right. as us. Um, basic sensibilities, what's important to us, what we think about. It's almost like comparing... Um, what a dog thinks about compared to what a human thinks about. What a dog thinks is important. Trust me, you know, like a pile of crap, he's going to go rolling. <laughs> it's the greatest thing since Disneyland. Uh, that's really not, and that's that's really the equivalent comparative 
to when we look at who constructed some of that, uh, the potentials and us. <clears throat> so certainly they're hard to understand and can seem meaningless to us, but there was a purpose. So, But yeah, that's, that's what we run into. With talking about the reptoids and everything, you know, I, I can... I can tell now, you know, people are going to be listening to this and, and the eyes are going to, you know, their the eyebrows are going to cock and, and then the eyes are going to roll back in their head. And, and I think that's a, um, I, I think it's a knee jerk reaction, but I think it's a natural reaction because so much of the conversation about anything being reptilian has, has morphed into yeah. this conspiracy theory that, you know, the, uh, the the top bloodlines in in you know the yeah, yeah. it's the, all garbage you know it, but we're not talking yeah. about that we're talking about mm-hmm. something that is is different that is you know I don't remember what year the book came out but there was a gentleman that wrote a book and I think he uh, he detailed listed in detail so uh, twenty some different uh, representations of. Uh, off-world beings that have yeah. been categorized and stuff like that. And the reptoid-looking mm-hmm. kind, uh, I believe there was I believe there was three of them that would probably fall into that category. And well, and what we what we look at and call reptoids often other people would be calling the grays. Mm-hmm. Um, because or the tall whites that are that are <clears throat> I know that's been turned way around too, but the tall whites were originally um, beings like the grays. They're just taller. And they seem to be in charge. And when it comes to dealing with any agency or having any communication, you do it with a tall white, not with a gray. Even though the grays are always the one in the utilitarian fashion. They're also the ones that are seen as emotionless in in abduction cases where the taller subjects will often come back and offer compassion. Right. Um, And that's so what who'd we be discussing would be the tall whites. Um, or, or that's who would be called a reptoid, even though that would not be correct either, because if they come from the type of, of background that a lot of ancient histories, and you could say mythologies, we call them histories, um, that relate them that they are dinosauric-based. And even in the Bible, when it talks about Satan, it may be a type of similar creature because it says, thou ancient serpent. A serpent is not a reptile. That's why reptiles and snakes are separated in that text from serpents. Serpents were dragons. Dragons were dinosauric. These are not reptiles. They're not snakes. They're not lizards. And that's something that we should remember. The dinosaurs evolved into present-day birds, which turned out to be some of the smartest animals on the planet. And they can't even quantify how they can be so smart with the neural density that they have. They're big, they say that it's a quantum thing, which we all know all minds really are a quantum thing. Um, you have people with just the outer membrane of their cerebrum who don't have any internal structure to the brain, and they operate normal lives and don't find this out until their 30s or 40s in life that their brain was just hollow and full of fluid. And there's nothing right. in there, yet they're still doing everything. Okay, These are the things that tell us that there's more going on. So we're all on a kind of a quantum level. If we look at birds as any type of indicator of where their intelligence could have turned into, um, and we look at birds as a simplistic form of a lesser evolved, well, then we could certainly see that they could be beyond us in capacity after 35 million years, if that's the time frame that, that we're talking about this evolutionary process, if that's what we all believe. Um, so it's scientifically what we're talking about shouldn't really be thrown out because it's actually plausible um, with the histories of the planet and the potentials and the longevity of those species that we know they were on the planet. You know, um, we're... 
we're nothing. We're just a flash, like a, like a literal flash bulb going off during a movie compared to some of these other animals or these other creatures. They had much, much millions and millions and more years to have gone through evolutionary process to intelligence than we ever had that opportunity. Yet here we are comprehending time and an infinite universe. And this probably isn't the first time in this, this all this thing. And so the plausibility is actually high. Now we look at the Pentagon and everybody's, you know, when, when the Pentagon released, or, or even a year ago, when they said, we have materials not made on the, uh, manufactured materials not made on this earth. Well, come on, that, that, that's enough right there. I mean, somebody manufactured them somewhere off the earth. It doesn't matter that they released this UFO video or not. They've already come clean that, that there's intelligence out there that can manufacture advanced metal alloys, let's say. Regardless of where they come from, the, the propensity of life here early on is pushed over the top, knowing it could happen somewhere else, because we've right. already had life here. The only place we've known life is here. So the highest propensity is that that ad advanced life came from here. We can't really even suppose or throw it out that it's from another world, another star system. It's a long shot compared to this is a higher form of previous life from here, because this is the only place we know we've got life right now. And we've had life for billions of years, right? So collectively yeah. with, with, with single-cell organism. So with what we've been looking at, it's funny because if you're in the field enough and you go to enough of these places, these places are special places and they remain that way since history forgot. I mean, and so to go there, you're exposed to these validating realities, be it petroglyphs and monuments and things that you look at and go, my God, how did anybody do that? How did you balance a 5,400-ton rock? We see things like that. They, the, the rocks in Baalbek, they dwarf them. And somebody picked them up and put them on a pedestal. So who did that? You know, when you look at a rock that's 50 by 40 by 90, that's estimated sandstone, 5,400 tons. It's heavier than the Queen Mary. It's heavier than the, than, than the rocks in Baalbek times four. Yet we find those here in areas that are not quarried megalithic stuff these are just giant chunks of blocks of stone picked up and placed without any other seeming infrastructure around or culture yet they're doing this and then we've actually accessed caverns hidden things this and that we found that the jesuit priests knew about this stuff um, we realized through the years that a lot knew about this stuff um, maybe even the founding fathers of America knew about this stuff. The Knights Templar knew about this stuff. And they knew it's either extraterrestrial or, or ultra-terrestrial connections. They knew this. So did the natives and the Native Americans. And this has been kept under wraps by people for various reasons for thousands of years. So it's not like they've had a hard time hiding even right here on our own planet. Well, even the sign from them is... Been even found a, continually in the histories there. Even Abraham Lincoln made mention of the giants mm -hmm. that were here before us. And he did so, as a matter of fact, not like it was new news. Right. Because just like the Bigfoot before 75, everybody knew. It was not new news. It was old news. Everybody knew. And if you look at how it all goes and how it's repeated each time and how the information is repeated each time... It's the same thing. It's standard knowledge. Um, studies are done. Conclusions are formed. It's talked about amongst the tight circle. And then it disappears. It's mythology. It's magical. That tight circle of people never existed. 
no matter how much documentation there was by no matter who. You could take the most reputable newspapers on the planet, and if they wrote about that, it's bullshit. They're bullshit. You could take the most reputable geneticists on the planet, and if they talk about that and support this or that, they're full of shit. So, and that's exactly opposite of science. Well, science is irrelevant. It doesn't matter who picks up this and shows that or demonstrates that. It's actually completely irrelevant because in science, we repeat that stuff. We do it again and again until it's proven. We don't take anybody's word for it, mm -hmm. right? And then the science was done and it was accepted and they have names for them. Um, if they have names for them, then how did they not exist? And um, Homo capensis, go look that up. Uh, that's one that existed. And in the 20s and 30s, Homo capensis was a big deal. These are coneheads. These are the long craniumed individuals. These and also remnant of very big seven to nine foot tall peoples with elongated skulls from North America. And they were called the capensis, um, Homo capensis. So they classified them. And we're looking at the Paracas skulls going, oh, what are they? And no one knows and all the animal. Oh, well, they just they just cradle boarded their heads and they bound head binding and this and that to give them that shape, even though the cranial capacity would be 20, 30 percent higher than a human. But in the 20s, those were called Homo capensis. What happened to that? Why did it become the, the oh, the the you know, the the bound heads of, of humans yeah. when they were known as Homo capensis before? So and they're now we're looking at the DNA differences and things. These are before they could run DNA. They already knew they weren't standard human Cro-Magnon. They already knew that. How did we forget this? This is what really needs to be looked at. So that's kind of what we do. We come up here and say, go look at Homo Capensis. We say, go find the movie Metropolis in its most complete form and watch it if you want to see what's going on. And that movie was made decades and decades and decades ago, what, maybe a century ago even. How long ago was it made? Late 1920s, early 1930s. Right. Yeah, it's one of the first major sci-fi movies, and it's, yeah. it's outstanding. And if you look at the movie and pay attention to it, you'll see our society today, where we're headed. And the end sum of the whole movie is down beneath the ground. There's a race of Homo capensis running everything. The Coneheads. That's what it shows you. It's a, literally a movie dictating a story that's been going on here that people have no clue about, that everyone dances around with the information, disinformation, counter disinformation, all the all the stuff in the and the agendas and the swing and the ego and 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 everything else. You know, if we look at it, it's like a myth. Hell, you're on TV. What's well, the truth? So you're out of here. Um, that movie encompasses so much. It's just like I'm here to throw this stuff into your bag because we do that all the time the um have you do you know about this people say no i've never even heard about that even in this age today i've never even heard about that by homo capensis it's not a new thing these these were this is science people these these were classified so now they're not classified anymore right now now they're a myth now they're just cradle boarding you know what do you what do you know about the giants what do you know about um you know at, at one point uh I forget what the gentleman's name is. He's he's done a lot of research, and you know there were over seven hundred, I believe, newspaper articles from the oh, yeah. uh, late eighteen hundreds into the early nineteen thirties mm -hmm. uh, from all across all across America, uh, where these mm -hmm. uh, these large skeletons, anywhere from seven and a half to nine feet tall, um, unearthed in in various places. 
and then you know i don't even know if it's true but the the standard go-to answer is that you know once the smithsonian got a hold of it um they they all disappeared with with i mean this isn't too far outside of your wheelhouse as far as you know what do you know about that is is that is that the truth um are there any places well, I mean, uh, apparently uh, overseas there's still some place where you can actually see the remnants of some of the bones of uh, uh, of one of mm-hmm. these uh, one of these giants and uh, I, c- I can't remember I wish for the life of me I wish I could remember where it's at but well, uh, even Guatemala um, brags that they did an archaeological excavation on a giant so um, it's out there and, and they, people have to remember this. What we're seeing all over the planet, this westernized vision, is that it was actually a viewpoint from a very tiny speck on the planet, that none of this is fanciful to all these other cultures, just the European, Europeanized, westernized doctrine. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, All over the world, everywhere in the world, they're studying these things. They look at them for real. They're part of their history. They still involve with them. They didn't get swept under the rug because someone wants to... Uh, keep a theory popular um, or whatever other reasons. I can't even imagine that reason's it. But like the out of, out of Africa theory and the Bering Land, the land bridge. We know for a fact now that's complete malarkey and it doesn't just get pushed into malarkey a little bit. You know, 9,000 years was the oldest when I was a child and they really wanted to push it to 13,000 years. Man, they're over 30,000 years now, undebated. What happened for 10,000 years in between that? Yeah. You realize how much time that is? That's enough time to build entire cultures as advanced as we have today, and then wipe have it off disappear. the map, and not have anything show up except a rust stain in the ground from where the metal used to be. That's all we'd have is mineralized earth and sediment, which we have today. I mean, we have, you can go find exactly what would be left after our population is gone. 10,000 years later, what you'd have left, you can go find that right now today, exactly what we'd have left. And so tell me it didn't go down, right? And all this, the, the timeline's bull. So what do giants do to that? Giants mess that up. Hell, it's okay if you're in France or anywhere over there, Italy, and, and you find a Denisovan and a Homo heidelbergensis and Neanderthal and all stuck in the same damn cave with a Cro-Magnon and everyone can get over that. But for some reason, anything that indicates anything other than this certain group of people walked over here across one little stretch, right? Um, anything that throws that out is completely out the window. Why are they so nervous about us learning the prehistory of North America? That's kind of what I want to know about, because I know that remains of north of San Juan, New Mexico, as old as 40,000 years ago were pulled in the 80s, and there's been no talk about that. It was all web swept under the rug. Must be bad science, right? No, it's not. It's declaring itself everywhere, and I mean not a little bit. So when the archaeologists say, well, 13,000 years ago is the oldest evidence we have, and then we get feet print from 22, 23,000 years ago. How come you don't find a single thing to tell you anyone existed for 10,000 years in between those feet print and when you tell us people got here? You tell me they never found anything that fits in between there? Nothing? That is complete horseshit. Absolutely. It's impossible. It's not even possible. You can't have a lapse like that once you had a group of humans, a reproducing body of humans on this continent 23,000 years ago, and now 30,000 years ago, and you have 
tens of thousands of years of occupation and then claim you never found a single bit of it older than 13,000 years before those feet print. If so, it shows inco blatant incompetence at some point or another because it's statistically, theoretically impossible for that to have occurred. It's not even possible. So don't tell me that. What do the giants do to that? What were giants? You know, Homo heidelbergensis were eight, nine foot. Denisovan, they're looking nine, ten foot. So what were they? Is it so outlandish to believe that people who could make jewelry with a nano polish, fine rock bracelets and things, that they couldn't get over here? That's ludicrous. I could build a raft or a boat long before I'm going to uh, perfect drilling through hard stone and applying a nano polish to it. That's way beyond building a boat. Um, we can't even replicate the polish. And this stuff's done that long ago. And, and but we can't believe those people could build a boat. That's ridiculous. I mean, anyone with enough intellect, any Cro-Magnon, any of them at any time could have figured out how to build a boat in a lifetime. It's statistically impossible. It didn't occur. Because the basis of human nature is to move around and look at new stuff. It's to build stuff. Explore. Put stuff together. Hop on it. Float down the river on it. Go over the waterfall on it. Be the, impress the girls the most. That's human nature. So they have to throw, God, what a limb they have to go out on to cancel all this, right? Because and yet they've the obvious, been able to. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they have to go way, way, way outside any base logic at all. To, to discredit or to credit what they've got or discredit the rest. It just blows my mind. And I respect archaeology. I, man, I love the science. As a matter of fact, I love them so much because I want to know the truth. And the only way to get to real truth and understanding is, is through careful, careful examination, repetition, things like that. It is science. But in the same right, science doesn't make ever make a declaration. It's always willing to be revised, always willing to be revised. How come in some sciences... Revision is just the name of the game. Astronomy is, is, is just the name of the game, man. They learn new things, and they're changed continually. Physics, oh, man, it's wiped continually. You can have two guys with stellar arguments with 30 years of research to back up opposing views. It never stops. Archaeology, dead in the water, buddy. What in the world is wrong? How come there's no revision based on no matter what it's based on, no matter what we put up, no matter what anyone throws in, the story never changes has anyone ever noticed that yeah this is the only science that's like that geology is not even like that because we see a new geologic process somewhere and realize wow we thought it took a thousand years to do that it just did that in two and a half weeks like the fossilization yeah. of a deer at pinatubo when the geologists realized in two weeks they witnessed the deer get fossilized okay so full mineral replacement so what in the world man and when you but there's no revision. There's no revision to the story. So that's what I know about giants. I know giants would represent then uh, another thing that shakes, that pulls and pries and prods the truth out of the shadows. Whether it's like they're not just by existing, it makes a declaration. And that's not one they're willing to live up to. Hey, when you've told a lie, right, knowingly or unknowingly, let's say unknowingly, you've been telling a lie for the last 200 years. You're going to go, oh, well, I didn't know. I got it from them. No, you're not. You don't want anyone to associate with you with that. Um, and the ones that have been developed to lie certainly aren't going to. And the longer they lie, uh, the harder it is to get anyone to admit the truth. That's just the way lies work. 
So even if it started out a white lie, let's say to help the people and it was all beautiful and wonderful and gracious and behind a loving heart, all behind this little white lie that they, that they told. Well, if, even if it started out that way, it's not that way now. Now it's a ugly, an ugly, horrible, black weight, dead weight on humanity holding us back without being able to advance in understanding or really perceive our own place in the world when at the time we come to where we're here to complement contemplate it right to when we can weigh it out we can back up and 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 you know people are now kind to animals when they never really were in history before they see them as sentient beings with with hearts and minds and and emotions and feelings and we're beginning to respect them as a race it's never been that way and these things are happening now this is this enlightenment going on right but yet our development can't accelerate it can't go on if it's stalled by darkness or by a lapse of information and a lack of understanding. We have no way to weigh out who we are, nothing to compare it to, no no basis. And I think that this this, this is the battle going on right now. And people like Un- Uncomfortable Podcast and Eric here are their pioneers, even though that they think that they may be supporting the explorer, they are on the boat. They're explorers. This is the whole thing, because anyone who's out there willing to look honestly without the fear of their peer pressure or anything, else, these are the pioneers. These are the people who broke the damn planes and who sailed across oceans and crossed volcanic ranges and things like that when no one else would. Eric, you're, you are one of those people. Well, I, th- um, I think everybody, you know, like your role is 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 considerably more um contributive to this than than mine but i i'll i'll digress and say that i don't think it, it takes an enormous amount of different roles in life to be able to bring this kind of stuff out you have you have your role that you've mm-hmm. chosen and I, i've you know, or chose I've, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I've chosen my role and you know, it's everybody's role is important. It may not seem as uh, significant or as valid as the next person's, but as long as you're trying to help push forward the open critical thinking and, and encourage numbers of people to use their brain to see what's around them and see what's going wrong and why ask the questions why not asking anybody to go out on a limb and put yourself in a position where you're going to start getting looked at in in the wrong way by the wrong people that's not what Mm -hmm. i'm saying but man you can do an awful lot for yourself and if everybody does a lot a little bit for themselves collectively Mm -hmm. it's going to make a difference and, you know, this, the type of stuff that we're talking about is just, you know, there's no good reason. There is no good reason in hell that this man would be sitting in front of me and telling you a story about a prehistoric bird flying in front of his car for any reason that would gain him anything. No, quite the opposite. So you put yourself out there. I had credibility more so before I publicly touched the Bigfoot subject. Yeah. That tore my credibility a new one. 
And so it's a sacrifice. People think that I'm doing it because I want to get known or recognition. No, I just ruined my recognition and fame basically when I came out. I've said it before. When I got into it, uh, one of my guys asked me, he said, this is what, we're, what are we doing now? We're doing Bigfoot now? Like, what are you, crazy? Like, literally. Um, because that's how I was perceived. My, my integrity, and this is going up against academia, historical uh, academia, big time. And all we did was gain respect. That's all we ever got. In the end, some, all we ever got was respect from the professional agencies, the highest level in the state of New Mexico, from the federal agencies, the U.S. Forest Service, from the, like the Bureau of Mines in Socorro, New Mexico, and all these places that just opened their archives to us and worked with us, created permits because of our work and all this other stuff. And really, I tossed most of that out the window when I started doing Bigfoot and coming public because we had the recognition. We had the professional respect. We've already, we, we had that. And we've lost a lot of that now because of the personal perceptions of the individuals involved in those other deals. Yeah. Um, so it's not only would I not get famous by telling you guys all this stuff. It's like I got guys shaking their head going, gosh, damn, don't tell them that, Rob. Damn, don't tell them that, man. Don't do that. Please. See? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to look like idiots, you know. But the whole point is this. It's just it's the truth, man. It's just the truth. And that's all it is. Um that's why it speaks for itself. I can tell you whatever I want to tell you. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's the truth. It's just the way it is. I got to ask this before we, uh, before we wrap this up, because we're at just about two and a half hours, which seems to be per typical for you and I. Um, yeah. I got a question posed to me. Could you please ask Mr. Kreider if Rud Ruidoso... Are you yeah, Reduso? Um, yeah, Reduso. Is is that place uh, hopping with activity as far as Bigfoot? Um, the cat. That's the Capitown Mountain Range is down there, and um, it's pretty wild. Um, I know that there is the Gila for Gila National Forest is has subjects there, and there's actually what you'd call a disappearance cell there is too. So, and we know of, of people that have been, um, you know something happened to him out there killed and found yeah. later and down there and we know that there's presence there um probably not as much as northern new mexico yeah but the capitan ranges and and the gila and, and those areas of southern new mexico definitely definitely have a presence yeah yeah sir um again it's been uh it's been a fascinating conversation with you and uh as always a pleasure you uh you bring you bring to the table um, what not many can. And, uh, you know, for, for somebody in my position, uh, uh, somebody who's on your boat, as it were, um, you really can't ask for more than somebody who can speak to the subjects as eloquently and not fumble over their words and, and never seem to be at a, at a loss for... Uh, maybe not a complete explanation, but at least a, a clever way of pointing people in the right direction to help find their own answers uh, to some things. Um, you know, the UFO topic we, we touched on a little bit with you. Um, yeah, you know, the switching of the name from UFO to UAPs now has made it seem 
like it's it's it, it it's a different anomaly it's it's more mm-hmm. of a it's more of a a phenomenon instead yeah. of being a nuts and bolts yeah. uh, something thing. ethereal yeah yeah, yeah. and I, it's strange to me that they have uh, gone and and readopted an entirely new verbiage when it comes to talking about mm-hmm. this subject um, and even the well this is the age of new verbiage so and <laughs> it and is it is absolutely, you know, in the, in the, you know, the excitement that came along with the, the somewhat soft disclosure that happened to coincide with the, the worldwide pandemic, which I thought was kind of odd that they would release information while it was going to be overshadowed by something as, as uh, mm-hmm. tragic as, as the, the pandemic and the number of deaths of people that had, uh, we lost during that. Um, you know, it just, everything seems so contrived and so, I, I just can't imagine what that what that room looks like with those heads that 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 play these play these games and they roll this stuff out and they're they're making their little twists and their little turns and you know creating these narratives and and things that um, you know it's no wonder we're so goddamn dumb now. It's yeah. no wonder. Well, I will tell you. And it's self-evident when the Brookings report, something that they put all their confidence in over four or five decades and, and paid so much for and believed in so much that the, their excuse for not telling the world about UFOs and whatnot um, that, you know, would cause panic and strife and the world economies would fall and, mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Um, this just goes to say how smart they were yeah. because the, the word's been dropped. What happened? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And if they seriously thought there was going to be some... And it's not because we've been desensitized. It's that's not why. No. That's not why humans deal with information, and they've always dealt with information well. And in six months, in nowadays two days, um, it's old school. Yeah, just boom, 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 like that. We're the fastest thing to adapt that's ever existed. So, and it's just like that. It's just what is big news today is is nothing tomorrow. And and there was no reason to ever keep it secret. And it just shows that if they believe their own excuse for keeping it secret, they were just literal idiots because look how it turned out well and I, i've thrown this out w- once or twice before and I'll, I'll do it again because i think it's apropos for this um you know y- you go back to uh the roswell uh new mexico incident you know mm-hmm. and you're, you're talking about a military power that at the time having just come out of world war ii arguably the strongest most sophisticated military in the world mm-hmm. in the world and they're going to make a mistake for wreckage versus a balloon yeah i'll tell you what yeah i'm going to drop something for you and it, it has to do with that and this this is so people can kind of check this out this is all stuff that's in here that isn't out there <laughs> um so tesla invented a beam weapon an electron beam weapon works the same way an electron beam in a tv set worked which could hit 512 lines a single phosphor dot of which there were i forget seven or eight hundred of them across and 512 lines of them and it could pick one out of three colored dots that little beam and go through those lines and hit just the dots it needs to so fast you couldn't comprehend it and it looked like a picture. In other words, it could almost hit 
10,000 or more points almost simultaneously is how fast an electron beam can be focused and steered and aimed. Now, Tesla developed a, a, an electron beam, exactly the same thing, the cathode ray tube that works inside the old TV sets, focused and delivered exactly the same way through a magnetic coil. He told that the powers that be that he could stop World War II in a heartbeat, no problem, and that all they'd need is seven towers to, con to defend all of Europe. And that they're, that these, they can, the system could target a thousand targets at, at the same, any one tower could target a thousand targets at the same time and take them down. No problem. That's what that was. That's a beam weapon. Now known as directed energy weapons. Um, we say that we've only gotten so far and this and that and everything. I'm going to tell you, there was an operation called Operation Lure and an operation called Operation Flytrap. And it's likely that the Roswell craft was shot down, not just crashed. Mm -hmm. And that it was doing three to 4,000 miles an hour when it was hit the first time, where it, it basically collapsed its dilation field. So it became a rock, um, a hot, glowing, ionized rock. Um, that hit the sand and made what was called the glass field or the glass deposit. Then it skipped and made the debris field, and then it crashed. And nowadays, even the UFO researchers, Linder, Milton, Howe, and everybody else, they still don't seem to understand how that event took place, where it hit the ground, how it bounced, and where it ended up. And one of the reasons is because disinformation coming out. They don't want you to see the trajectory of that craft, where it flew. Because where it flew was over a facility, and that facility, since way back then, has had a large device sitting on the desert floor, that I was able to find with Google Earth. So I know it's not that bad hard. And it's the same weapon that Tesla developed, but a ground-based system. And it's a big coil with two big balls on the outsides, and the balls are white and the coil's gray. And you can see it. And that's what that is. That's a beam weapon. And it's a, it's a dilation weapon. So what you'd call zero-point field energy is just a, ra a rip in time. So there's no time or an infinite amount of time in any given space. So that's how this weapon operates, is why it can down these craft, because they operate on the same thing. Um, it's still there. Now, Project Lure was built to attract the attention of these things, and this is where they built odd buildings and giant constructions and weird patterns in the desert floor and things like that to attract off-world attention that they would come and look at these things, and then fly, fly, Project Flytrap was the act of shooting them down so we could recover them and get them. You can still go out uh, Edwards and uh, Nevada Test Research Facility, you know, what they call Area 51 is a small portion of that. That goes all the way over to Edwards Air Force Base. Um, and on the desert floor there, you can see, for one, you can see ancient giant geoglyphs or what look like star systems and star maps that are ancient that are massive scale that you, if you zoom in enough to see them, you only see the line, like one little line across. And when you zoom out, you can no longer see them anymore. It takes an immense amount of effort to discover and map. But what else is there is for one, of course, lots of nuclear test craters and, and, and what appear to be underground installations and things like that. But also there are these giant geometric buildings. Like you might have a big blue cross that's, it's actually like, five cubes put together 
giant, maybe 200 feet tall, and each cube 200 foot across. And these make this giant geometric bright colored form on the desert floor. And there's several of these, and those are a part of Project Lure. And then if you go to the east of those, it's a 20, 25 miles, something like that. You'll, there's Project Flytrap's main device on the desert floor. So Project Lure brings them in, Flytrap shoots them down. So these are the things that, that I want to tell people about even. So you guys can go look this stuff up now. Um, you know, I've been made privy to information because of what I've done. And I've been used and abused a lot because I had talents to decipher codes, recognize patterns, and to get to the bottom of things. And, and just being so dumb lucky is to end up in the middle of them. And so I've had different agencies, different people utilize me at the time as well as assist. And when William Cooper was writing um, his famous, now famous books and doing his speeches about things, when he said, like, you know, if I tell you they're going to kill me and they went and killed him, um, I was receiving, I was one of five people in the late 80s who was receiving all the information as he was writing it to protect his life. It was being distributed through his attorney to five people. I was one of those five. I still have all that. When it talks about aliens and stuff, it doesn't just talk about them. It tells you what they eat and how they eat it, how their biology processes nutrients and excretes the toxins. It talks about how many days are in their solar year at their planet and how their society works. It goes into detail about Krill, who was the individual that they first got from one of the wrecks. Maybe this is a coral wreck. Um, who that they had in captivity for years until he croaked. Um, K-R-L-L was, was, was his designation. Um, I have all those original papers still. This is stuff that still hasn't even hit the Internet yet. Um, you know, so, so there's a lot more going on. That's why I can just sit and drop this stuff to you, you know. I have a telephone somewhere where in the drive to it, it's a broken phone, is a ge geographic coordinates to a warehouse full of giant's remains that's not on an academic place and it's not on a military base. It's on some type of private corporate land. The two security guards, um, the doors were all supposed to be locked. They checked a locked door. The outside door wasn't locked. Instead of just locking it like they were supposed to, they went into the first vestibule of the warehouse, which was all open, literally giant remains lying on tables. And then most of the warehouse you couldn't even get into. It was closed access. But what was on the table was readily apparent, and that's what it was. And that they, the guy didn't know what to do about it. He didn't know how to live with himself having that information. So he sent me the, the longitude and latitude of the warehouse it's in one of these phones or broken phones I got around here somewhere. I can't get it out of it. Um, but over, this is what we want, Eric. This is, this is why I'm dropping little tidbits now. So people can think all this stuff's crazy, but it's not. You can, with the right information, you can still go look it up. I'm sure you can look up Project Lure and Project Flytrap. I'm sure that there's information out there about them. I never have read not a word about them on the Internet. Nothing. Nothing I have comes from the internet. Everything I have like that came from before the internet. And so that's the interesting thing about all this information is um, it was available to the right channels the entire time. And, but no one seems to have it. And that blows my mind. It's like, how in the world has this not made it out to the public sector yet? I'm not the only guy who got this stuff. Lots of guys did. How did it not make it out there? Just well, blows my mind. When you come up with a a, a world changing idea like the World Wide Web, and you this this immense wonderful culmination of of everything that you could possibly know at your fingertips, um, 
all in one place. All in one place. All in all in this. What a right. easy what a easy way to erase information that you don't want billions of people to know. Right. Right. You put it all in one place or you don't put it all in one place. Everybody's been cu- so accustomed to turning to this. When's the last time mm-hmm. anybody went and opened up an encyclopedia? Yeah. You don't have to. Better the television. Why the, the hell? same thing with Why the Lost Dutchman mine and all these huge secrets and stuff like that and you know and uh, the Montezuma mine and and these places Sol- King Solomon's mines. Um, we've we've located the site of what is all three of those. And uh, maybe not per se the Lost Dutchman, except I'm sure he was aware of this. But they're the most famous lost treasure locations in the world. Um, we found them. But the TV has had so many shows and put so much crap over so long and filled everyone's mind with crap that you can't, there's no room for truth anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't even show them, hey, man, we found it. Oh, yeah, sure you did. Oh, that was already found over here and over there. I saw it on TV. No, it wasn't. Um, so they can do that. They can erase things by showing you a diversion, uh, by filling your glass up. When it comes time for truth, there's nowhere to fit it. it. There's no room in there. You'd have to pour out half of what you knew and saw, what you think you know for a fact. You have to pour half of that out or I have no room to pour in the, what we found, right? Amazing stuff. Robert, let everybody know where they can find your stuff again. Like I said, you can find us on YouTube on KX Crider Exploration. You can find us on Facebook at our cryptid site at KX Cryptid Research Group, Bigfoot and more. You can, we have a website called CriderExploration.com. Um, we also have other Facebook sites like Crider Exploration, uh, which is a standard group. And we also have a page for information you can interact with. You can find us on Patreon to support us at Patreon. Uh, slash Crider Exploration. And as well, uh, hit up our Merc. And like I said, check out that KXPD3 parabolic microphone we developed. Um, prices are going to go in a couple weeks. We've already, earlier in the video, you have to review and you can see the deal I offered uh, to make and uh, through Eric here. And uh, so that's about that. Um, feel free to reach out and touch us in my, in my email. If, if anyone has any info, uh, wants to share with us is the word explore underscore it underscore all at Hotmail explore it all cool robert thank you so much man i appreciate every minute that you take out of your time to to spend it with us uh amazing conversation and i'm telling you if some of the stuff that this guy tells you does not make you uncomfortable then uh i'm not doing my job so well and i still haven't said anything tonight no matter how weird it got that i can't show you some form of trace or physical evidence so so I suggest yeah, we back it up. You you got to go to his website. You got to check out his stuff, and and don't don't be mis- dismayed when you when you get there because there's a number of different uh, uh, allocations to his site. You, you know, there's there's stuff in different places. So you you kind of got to peruse around, and and just because you didn't see something in the, in the Bigfoot section doesn't mean that it's not in in another area. So uh, make sure you yeah, like I said that. That website is getting filled up. We, we've, I really need 
really need somebody to go in and take care of that, which we're trying to find that can take this mountain, I mean, terabytes and terabytes of information and get it formatted and get it in there for public view. With all the stuff I've got going, it's just it's too much for a guy to take on. So, But, yeah, like Eric said, dig around through there. There's some neat stuff. Um, and, Eric, I want to say it's been a privilege to be on your show, and thank you for the opportunity to share these truths with people. That's why we're here. Uh, that's why we're doing it. I certainly appreciate your take and point of view and relating what you feel about my integrity and what I've got to offer. Um, you know, that goes with that words. Thank you very much. It's, it's a, it's a hundred percent the truth. Uh, I, you know, I don't have to say it. You're not paying me to say it. Um, folks, if you get a chance and you see that name, Robert Kreider at a, at a conference near you, if any of the subjects that he talks about here uh, interest you, you've, you've got to go see him because you will walk away with a completely different understanding and a completely different perspective on, on these things. Uh, well, Eric, and on that note, I want to add one more thing is if you guys want to see me speak, reach out to the coordinators of these events and request me straight up. Uh, you can already be assured and know that I'm not going to show up with just uh, a bucket of opinion and a slideshow. So I'll, 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 I'll lay things on the table. I can, I can attest to that. And, um, speaking of conventions, conferences, whatever you want to call them, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a very strong chance that you and I may be seeing each other in, uh, Texas, uh, oh, good. near the end of July, I believe if, uh, if that With date, Josh Parsons hide and seek archives. Yep. yep he, mm-hmm. uh, he made mention to me, and it sounds like something that I'll be able to get down there for. Um, yeah, so. and, and I almost forgot something else that we've been playing around with, and I would like some feedback from the public on this. Um, it wasn't something that was my idea. I'm going to tell you that right now. And I know that there's this huge taboo about anybody making money with the Bigfoot deal. And um, But I want you to know, I've guided tours my entire life for geology, history, and everything else sometimes just for dinner other times for big money for digging uh, fossils and things like that i've gone out and taken people to dig dinosaurs um and i was offered it was brought up to me that if we, we have a hard time paying bills i mean we didn't hardly hardly a christmas because they held my money financially messing with us bad and just now releasing some of that actually but what i want to convey is um someone brought it up to me that there are people that want to go in the field with with kx and that are willing to pay to do that and that that may be a way to try to fund some of our furthering our research because all this comes out of my pockets and i'm no i don't have i don't have anything and i have no trust account i have no no retirement no social security none of that stuff's coming out. i don't have any disability anything else and i'm doing this full time so we rely on what we can and i do all the work i can privately to get things done and um I just want some feedback. What do you people feel about that? What do you feel about the integrity? What happens to a man's integrity that that then gives the opportunity to someone to pay him money to facilitate them an adventure? And so that's where we're kind of playing with that right now. And and I'm being asked if I will provide that, if I will be the person that takes these people into the field to experience what we experience and to see some of the more popular sites and things like that with us. So, um, how do you people feel about it? I'd love to hear some feedback, both through Eric and through myself on our channel and um, how that strikes you, because um, it's something that I'm, I love to do this one thing, but I can't afford to do it naturally. And um, so it's very intriguing to me and, and somewhat appetizing. And I think I would like to do that. What I don't want to do is come across 
as any uh, with any less integrity or doing something for profit or you know uh, solely for to make money or anything like that. So, yeah. So give me some feedback and and let us know. You know, kind of how you feel about those things. And you can talk to Eric. Eric will always hit me up. So, well, I can tell you from my standpoint, um, everybody's got to make a living, right? And and your job that you you chose to do or chose you is is this and there is there's an inherent need to be able to provide your family with with a living and you know i i didn't when i started this this podcast i did not start it with the intent of it becoming a uh a, a generating any income I, that was that was not in my head when I started it. I was like, I want to talk about weird shit. I want to get, you know, the message out to people that you know this stuff is happening and it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, by the grace of uh, of whatever created us, um, you know, I, a, a company comes knocking and and wants to pay me to to, to promote their product. Um, well, you know what? That helps. It helps. It helps pay for the equipment that I use. It mm-hmm. helps pay for the utilizing the the system that we're using to, to get this vo- videotaped and recorded uh, online. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps with getting this show out to the people who are listening to it. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to earn a living. You know, when when people start fleecing people, uh, you know, when, when you have somebody that is completely disingenuous and is flat out just pulling the wool over somebody's eyes and taking them out and showing them a, a deer rub on the side of a tree and saying it, that it was a Bigfoot claw and the mm-hmm. bark off of it. Yeah, that's a problem. But honestly, you know, it, to me, you're, what you're talking about sounds like something that is a bit more extreme than just paying $300 for a weekend to go out with a couple of BFRO uh, investigators and, and camp around in the woods. Um, yeah, that kind of, that would be exactly, even though that we do want to make a, some form of a tier for the inexperienced and things like that. We actually, we want to do it on a scientific opportunity. So if you had, an opportunity on the early studies of the Billy Chimp to go along with them why they did that work. That's that's more what what we're doing. I mean, and plus, you know, we want to, we do want to develop a tier for the inexperienced or mm-hmm. or those people with just the raw base interest as well. So, and I want to let people know. So they think there's fame and fortune, whatever. So, complete disclosure, complete transparency. We make. I'm not even sure now we have that many patrons. So. Our patrons, I got to say thank you to you guys, man, because you guys have been keeping our stuff online. We would have already lost our GoDaddy site due to recent changes and stuff in the last few months had it not been for you guys. Um, and when, when you say, oh, well, I got a, I got a website. It doesn't cost me anything. Well, ours does. And trust me, we spend, uh, I make $130 a month on our biggest month. Now we're down in the 90 bucks a month or something like that from our patrons. And our web presence is over $140 a month. So I still have to shit out you know, $50 a month, uh, which a lot of times we don't have. It comes out of food, right. literally, to keep that stuff. Because if I let it falter and drop, I'm going to lose the presence. I'm going to lose it. 
And um, this is just to keep it rolling. And, you know, Atlanta Silicon, it's a company that just keeps our website, puts it back up. We get it take our website gets attacked up to 40, 50 times a day. So we pay a company six bucks a month to, to put it back <laughs> every time they attack it. Right. So but this stuff stacks up. People don't realize that every module and every plug in a website is someone else charging you money for that plug in and that module. So if I want to show you pictures and have a picture album or anything like that, I'm paying for that album to be in my website. Right. Um, sites like GoDaddy and WordPress are professional sites. There's no ads and there's not a lot of distraction because these aren't for that. And so we try to step up at that at that level to produce this for the people, which is why it's so, been so hard to build and get these sites going. Um, they're difficult. I mean, you have to learn Python, PHP, and CSS code in order to operate these sites. Um, generally, you're paying someone $400 to $1,200 a month to maintain and build these sites, these type of sites. And so we're doing that now on my own, on shoestring. And um, so it's certainly like we don't get rich. Um, the most we make off a T-shirt, if it's off one of our video links for, through Frontiers, 10 bucks. Um, so I just want people to know there's no... I'll tell you what, it's like if we were doing it for profit or whatever, I could have done a thousand things easily. I'm a talented individual for a ton of profit, man. And I could have sold out on the ape myth or whatever on this genre and been making a ton of money too. So yeah. just just for clarification and transparency, that's the, what's really going on. That's how it really works. Well, I encourage everybody, head over, check out his stuff. If you're interested in what he's talking about as far as guided tours, let me know let him know contact yeah. either one of us if you choose to do it through me you can even do it through discord if you're one of the members i will get that information to him so he can start collecting data on uh, yeah just the feedback on it if nothing else just give us how that makes you feel how do you feel about a person who may do that does that change your point of view you know yeah cool rob it's been uh it's been great man we're coming up on uh Coming up on three hours. This was a banger of an episode. I knew it would be. Um, thank you so much for spending my 100th episode with me. Can't think of anybody I'd rather have done it with. Oh, Eric, I, I got a shout out right now. Thank you to you for choosing me to be the one to go on your 100th show. That's quite the privilege, buddy. I, I, feel, I feel privileged. Thank you. Yeah. You've been popular. Uh, you are you're a name that comes up repeatedly when I ask who who I've had on in the past that you'd like to see again. Uh, literally, your name is is the first to pop up. So, um, Well, thank you, people, for that. I appreciate it. Appreciate you noticing. That's great. The more people we can get out there to spread the word, the better. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Okay, thank buddy. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Eric. All right, guys, that's it for tonight's show. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Robert Kreider again. That was a banger of an episode, and quite honestly, you guys got to hear him talk about some things that he doesn't typically talk about. If you did enjoy it, please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can, and share the show. Share it with your friends, family, co-workers. The more listeners make for more experiencers coming forward, and if you've had an experience yourself or have a story that you'd like to have shared on Uncomfortable, please reach out to me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or Facebook. Until next time, my friends, stay uncomfortable.